Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Hi, it's Gabby Reese, and this podcast is powered by Laird Superfood. It was created in our kitchen by my husband, big wave surfer Laird Hamilton, and it all started with a simple idea. What began as Laird's secret for long-lasting energy on the waves is now Laird Superfood, offering a full range of delicious plant-based creamers, coffee, greens, and more. Visit LairdSuperfood.com and use the code GABBY2024 and save 20% on your first order. A world of Love Welcome to Love and Las Vegas. For Gus Gus with myself, Greg Eves Peters, and now part of the Eason family of podcast. We've got a great podcast for you as we're going to be going with no guests on the podcast today. We've got another expansive Thursday college basketball betting board, so we're going to be hitting bank shots for two segments here. Just going to try to give you guys as many trips to the window as humanly possible. It's still a relatively new year. We're still in January, so We've got to try to make you guys some New Year's money, if at all possible. So we are going to be doing that. And if you do have a question, comment, segment, idea, what have you for this podcast, you do have one of two ways we offer those in. First one is my Twitter timeline, at GNN underscore D1. Keep in mind, letters CM. Naming does not matter. As per usual, please just send these into the timeline. And the other way is find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you are able to fire in whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five-star review. Really did not get in a lot of Twitter questions today, but there were questions as to what in the world is happening with UConn. I know that myself and Kai McKeon were asking that on the podcast yesterday as well, but boy, oh boy, things are not necessarily looking too terrific there. So let's take a look back at everything that we saw both late on Tuesday and also on Wednesday. Try to find some trends and try to get to another. He seems a little bit better. A game from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the rowdy recap. Unfortunately, due to a little bit of a shortage of time because the Greg Peterson experience that is now from midnight to 3 Eastern time. I have to do this a little bit more quickly. I've only got about 10 or so minutes for this. So I'm not able to brush up on some of the stuff that we saw from late Tuesday. But on Wednesday, we saw the continued struggles of UConn just manifest themselves even further for UConn. They lose to Xavier 82-69 to as Xavier was up double figures. UConn was able to cut that lead to two, but UConn unable to get it done in the end. UConn was able to win the rebound battle 34-29, to but couldn't guard the arc. 10 of 20 is what Xavier went from three-point range with Sule Boom. 21 points. Now, Xavier did turn the ball over 15 times in this game, and the combination of Tristan Newton along Jordan Hawkins, they combined for 51 points for UConn, but for UConn, even though they were able to get to the free throw line, just their lack of being able to guard the perimeter just doomed them in this game. As Zach Fremantle, Jack Nunji, a combined 21 points, 12 rebounds, and for UConn, they have now lost six out of their last eight games. It's been rough for them. Been rough for Wisconsin this season as they lose to Maryland 73-55, to a Maryland team that had been held below 70 points in, I believe, five out of their last seven games. And for Wisconsin, they do go 7-17 from three-point range. Connor Asesian was able to chip in their 19 points. He went 4-6 from the outside, but Wisconsin lost the battle on the glass 32-22, even with Tyler Wall and Stephen Crawl giving you 24 points. 
They didn't do much on the glass. And Dante Scott, double-double. 14 points, 11 rebounds. Maryland went 6 of 14 from three-point range. Low possession game. Maryland was by far more efficient with Jameer Young doing it all. Five assists, 22 points, eight rebounds. So a very good win for Maryland. We did see Houston go on the road, and they were able to cover the 10-point spread, winning by 11 against Central Florida, 82-71. to Now, the good news for Central Florida is that they've got Darius Johnson back to the fold. He is their leader in steals, so that's very beneficial. But we have seen Central Florida really start to regress in terms of their defense as they have now given up at least 70 points in each of their last four games. And for Easton, 11-27 from three-point range. Marcus Sasser, Jamal Shedd, they both chip in their 14 points apiece. And then for Houston, they win the rebound battle 38-27 to for Central Florida. Ithiel Horton was able to chip in there 18 points. And Taylor Hendricks, 17.7 rebounds. But Houston, they've been able to cover on the road last few seasons. This was another big one for them. This was a big one for West Virginia. They go on the road and they take down Texas Tech 76-61. We knew that there had to be losses for one of these Big 12 teams and... Right now, they're all coming to Texas Tech because they're now 0-8 within the conference. This has been a bad year for them as Texas Tech, 3 of 20 from three-point range. They've cranked up their tempo, and it hasn't helped them. They won the turnover battle. Texas Tech did 19-13, to but lost the battle on the glass, 44-27. to Kevin O'Banner, 20 points, 8 rebounds, had nothing around him. Meanwhile, Eric Stevenson, 10 boards, 16 points. And it's a West Virginia team that, after they had a little bit of a rough start, Two Big 12 play. They've now been able to win two out of their last three games. And I believe that they have covered something like four out of their last six as well. So West Virginia starting to turn a little bit of a corner coming off of their big win over Houston. It took overtime, but Temple, they were able to get the job done and they avoided the upset of South Florida 79-76. to A little bit salty if you laid the points because Temple was actually up 64-55 to with about eight and a half minutes remaining. But... They were able to get the job done in this one because they were able to get K-Leaf battle going for 25 points. Pittsburgh and Wake Forest did battle, and Wake Forest, for the seventh straight game, they played in over, and they lose, but they're able to get the cover against Pittsburgh. 81-79 to the final. Pittsburgh went 18 of 37 from three-point range with White Kinson going 8 of 14 from three. Greg Elliott, 6 of 9 from three. Very nice. They were able to combine for 42 points. And for Wake Forest, he did have Tyree Appleby chip in there 15 points, 7 rebounds, but this was a Wake Forest team that they were able to hold in there because they won their turnover battle by a count of 11-7. And for Wake Forest, offense has been there for them. Defense, not so much. Defense was not there for Nebraska. Offense was not there for Nebraska. It's Northwestern, now 14-5 and five straight up. And for Northwestern, all of a sudden, they've been able to show some nice fight. As they go on the road, they take down Nebraska 78-63, to a Northwestern team that has been primarily an under team. They got 26 points out of Ty Berry, going 6-12 from three-point range. Northwestern going to play a little bit of a schedule moving forward due to the covid pauses that they had but with that said for Nebraska they lose this game by 15 despite the fact that they go 9 of 25 from three-point range they're going to be without Emmanuel Bandemel for the rest of the season and they did have Cassie Shaminga be able to chip in their 22 points but nowhere near enough in this instance South Carolina another non-cover for them ever since they took down Kentucky they have failed to cover each other last four games ever since then and they have covered just one out of their last six overall 81 to 60 the final this has been a Florida bunch that has had a little bit of a tough time with regards to their offense recently. But if you take a look at this Florida team, they've allowed north of 66 points just once here in the calendar year of 2023. 
Gigi Jackson for South Carolina, 20 points, 10 rebounds. But for Florida, despite going 7-27 from three-point range, put the clamps down on defense. They got at least nine points from every one of their starters. And for South Carolina, just continues to be absolute sadness for them. For Dayton, man, they are not going to be getting that at-large bid. They lose to Rhode Island, 75-70, to and what has been a terrible year for the Atlantic 10. For Dayton, they go 7-17 to from three-point range. They were able to have Malachi Smith, Colby Elvis out there on the floor. They combined for 22 points along with five assists. But for Dayton, they allowed Rhode Island to go 23 of 26 at the free throw line. Rhode Island won the rebound battle 32 to 26. And if you're Dayton and you lose a rebound battle, you know that you're in a big giant load of doo-doo. You're in a big giant load of doo-doo. If you took a look at Fading IEPUI, as they were able to get a cover against IPFW by God of 81 to 75 in what was a little bit of a strange game. Loyal Chicago, they still have just four covers this season. They're a bottom three team in terms of cover eight, depending upon your closing numbers. 72 to 58. Duquesne was able to get it done as Duquesne. They went just 9 to 27 from three point range, but they did have Jimmy Clark and Davey Grant both contribute 13 points apiece. And for Loyal Chicago, 18 turnovers in this game. It's been really, really bad for them. And then the number four team in all of college basketball was able to cash our DK Nation pick. I took the under in Georgia versus Tennessee, 70-41. Tennessee just pounded Georgia into oblivion. Tennessee has a long opponents at home to shoot 19% from three-point range against them. Georgia goes four of 22 from distance. Georgia, 20 turnovers on 16 made buckets. Meanwhile, for Tennessee, they go just 6 of 21 from three point range. But Zakai Ziegler, 11 points, 7 assists in this one. And then you were able to get 10 points out of Toby Akawa. That was a little bit of unexpected production for Tennessee. And if you're looking for unexpected production when it comes to the college basketball betting board, what we've been seeing is quite a few overs recently 170 overs, 160 unders. Right now for the season, the over is hitting at about a 50.5% clip in college basketball. Home underdogs, they've been profitable for the season. We'll dive into that in a second, but just 46-59-5 against the spread the last seven days. And really, last, I will call it 21 days. It's been rough for home underdogs. So overall for the season, 497, 448, and 18 against the spread. Like I said, with overs hitting at right around 50.5% overall for the season, 1725, 1689, and I think we're up to like 70 or so pushes thus far this season as well. So that's what we're seeing in college basketball right now, and that's what we got in college basketball on Wednesday. A little bit of an abbreviated version because I have to do this rather quickly. We've got about three hours of college basketball breakdowns coming up next as I give you guys picks and analysis for all 70 games on the college basketball betting board for this Thursday as we hit some bank shots. Next here on Chris Gossip, this is myself, Greg Peters, and now a part of the decent family podcast. This show slash podcast is brought to you by BetterHelp and over at BetterHelp, they're helping you try to be able to ease up on your life a little bit more because I'm sure that you, much like myself, wish you had a little bit more time on your hands, whether that be to pursue a hobby. I myself could use a little bit of sleep as I've been handicapping about like 300 games a week and you're not able to get a lot of sleep when you're working that much, so hopefully you appreciate it on this podcast. But that said, Therapy can be exactly what you need to be able to get a little bit more time on your hands to pursue exactly what you love. And if you're thinking,
thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It is entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched up with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time at no additional charge. Learn what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Coast today. That's C-O-A-S-T to be able to get 10% off through your first month. That is BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Coast. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Access from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash stereo right now. NetSuite.com slash stereo. NetSuite.com slash stereo. Are you ready to become a winning sports better? Schedule a call with SBIA to find out how their service can make you a long-term winning player. They've developed an innovative algorithm that maximizes units return, and they are so confident in their system that they offer a money-back guarantee. Sign up by October 31st and get their NBA package at no cost until they reach 10 net units. They treat sports betting like a business. So if you want to learn how to make your sports betting dreams a reality, visit them at SBIA1.com and check them out on social media at SBIA Sports. 
Come over right here, Bobby Las Vegas. We're discussing food by self, Greg Hughes Peterson, now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. We're going to be going guest free today. We've got a nice, expansive college basketball betting board with 70 games on the card today. So, just want to give you guys as much analysis and as much ways to get to the window as humanly possible today. So, you're getting for the next two segments picks and analysis on all 70 of today's games as we hit some bank shots. Most financial establishments close at a certain time, but not here. It is time for a side and total on every game on today's betting board bank shots. Do note that as per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at unit underscore D1. We're going to be going in Las Vegas rotation, or this is where we start with the games with three digits on the rotation first, and then games involving smaller conferences. So the Atlantic Sun, the Big South... The Southland, if we would have any swag slash MEAC games, they would be here as well, along with the Northeastern Conference, America East. Those games are going to be at the bottom. So, we get things started with 733-734 on the betting board. It is Georgia State. And throw it to face off against Appalachian State. Appalachian State in between a 5 to a 5.5 point favor. Your total in between 124.5 and 126.5. So, quite a range on the total. And I do like this total over. I set my total at 127. So, Regardless of what you got, we're going to be taking a look there. And I did set Appalachian as a five-point favorite, so five-and-a-half, my buy point on Georgia State. Now, Georgia State is dealing with an injury to Dwan Odom. He has missed the last few games for this team. He is their top scorer of 14-and-a-half points, five boards, three-and-a-half assists. Does a nice job of being able to stuff the stat sheet. But that said, without him, Georgia State, they've still been able to do a relatively solid job on defense. This team has given up 70 points for fear in both games without him. They have also scored 58 and 52 points without him as well. This is a team that has been rough on offense relatively all season long, even when Odom has been out there. They are shooting 29.9% from three-point range as a collective for the season. If you take a look at the defense, still doing a good job of holding up right around 100th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis going up against an Appalachian State team that you'd expect a little bit more from them, 135th in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, and it's going to be up to Brendan Tucker to step up for this offense. Shot 38.5% from three-point range while at Charleston Southern last year, and it's now been able to give the team double figures each of the last five games. He's averaging 12.5 points, but he's shooting just 32% from three-point range this season. Georgia State has a chance to be able to win down low because you do have Jaheim Hudson. He's been able to chip in there 10.5 points, 7.5 boards, a steal per contest. He also does a good job of being able to help this team out just with regards to efficiency as he does shoot about 31.5% from three, which that's a little bit unexpected from a big man, Evan Johnson. He's been able to chip in there 10 points per game as well. And then on the flip side, for Appalachian State, it's a squad that has been relatively all over the place in terms of their offense. You take a look at them, and in terms of points allowed in their last five games, they've given up 62, 67, 45, 93, and 58. So you've seen trials and tribulations with this team as you've got a pair of guys at Terry Boykin along with Donovan Gregory. They combine for 24 points. Gregory chips in their four and a half assists, 1.7 seals as a little bit of a combo player. Appalachian State, you know, he should ride around 33 and a half percent for three. They do a better job of taking care of the ball than Georgia State. Georgia State, 13 turnovers per game, more like 11 and a half for Appalachian State. But Appalachian State also does play at a little bit of a slower pace. Appalachian State, you're going to find them hovering right around 250th in terms of total possessions per game. Georgia State, they're just a touch closer to that 200th range, more around 224th. 
for them. You do have down low somebody at CJ Hundley, who's been able to give Apple, I should say, 9.6 boards at 6'11". Shoots threes at about a 30% clip. These are a pair of teams that they really do a solid job with their defense, but I do think that you've gotten down just a little bit too low because you could see some late game falling here, and we have seen with this Apple, I should say, team them get to 65 or more in four of their last five games, and They've been able to get to that 70-point plateau in three of those contests as well. And if you want to data back a little bit further, four out of their last seven. So, did some my total at 127. I'm looking over with Appalachia State. Made them a five-point favorite, so five and a half or more. Taking the points with Georgia State, 735, 736 on the betting board. It is Delaware, and they throw it to face off against Hampton. Hampton is an 8 to an 8.5-point home underdog with your total between 142.5 and 143. And this is a circumstance where I did set Delaware as a favorite of 8.5 points, so I'm going to be willing to lay the 8 in this ordeal. It is a Delaware team that has been a little bit hampered, but now they've got Jameer Nelson Jr. back at fold, and Jameer Nelson Jr. has been able to do a rock-solid job all season long, being able to deliver for this team 20 points per contest. He returned for the last game against... Hofstra, and I think that that is just so massive as he's been able to chip in their five boards, three assists, and he does get some good up from Jair Davis. Jair Davis, nice set. He's suffering it of its own right. Three assists, five and a half boards, 17 points per game. But the big thing for Delaware is that they're going to be able to win the battle on glass against the Hampton team that ranks in the bottom 30 in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. Now, Delaware, they themselves are right around 250th in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. So even though you don't have a pair of teams that are playing at a breakneck pace, I do expect some points on the board. I set my total at a 144.5 as a result. Delaware, just 243rd. In terms of total possessions per game, Hampton, more around 145th with Hampton. You've got someone I do like in Jordan Nesbitt, who's been able to come in from St. Louis, 14 points, 7 boards, 3 assists, steal per contest, and then Russell Dean, he's your, I guess you'd call it, floor general, 14.5 points, 4.3 assists, and Marquise Godwin is your bomber from 3 points. She's 40% from 3, 13 points per game. Nobody else on the team gives you more than 5.7 points per game. You've got one guy that gives you more than 3.5 rebounds, Kyrie Small, and 5.5 points, 6.5 boards as a freshman. He's been able to come on, give him credit, 8 plus rebounds at each other last four games, but Hampton has been just completely bludgeoned in all facets of basketball. They shoot about 39% from the floor. They only turn the ball over 11 and a half times per game, so we've got that going for them, but it's a Hampton team that they have allowed at least 79 points in far of the last five games, and the lone exception came against a putrid Monmouth team. Meanwhile, you've got a Delaware team that the defense has honestly been a little bit better recently, giving up 59 points or fewer in three of their last five games. Now, they played a game that went to overtime against Drexel. They had a lot of 73 points in regulation to a Drexel team that doesn't necessarily do a good job of being able to pull points up on the board. So, it's a classic scenario of something's got to give in terms of the total. I do think that Delaware going to be able to get to Hampton in the spot. So, I might tell at 144.5. I'm looking at the over. And with Delaware, set them as an 8.5 point favorite. So, willing to lay 8 with them. 737, 738 on the betting board. UW-Green Bay, it's a road face off against Northern Kentucky. The North, sorry, 17 to a 17 and a half point favorite, and your total on this game are between 126 and 126 half. UW Green Bay has been awful all season. I honestly think that them canning Will Ryan is in the long run probably going to cause things to be a little bit more herky jerky for them, but I think the guys will respond with a little bit more zeal in this spot. Not that I think UW Green Bay wins this game outright by any stretch of the imagination, but 
I set my number at 16 and a half. So 17 or more. I'm willing to take the points with UW-Green Bay. For UW-Green Bay, offense has been a little bit better recently. And that's not saying much because they rank in the bottom 30 in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis. But you know what? They've been able to get to at least 67 points and now five out of their last seven games. So you know what? There's something there. And for Northern Kentucky, they have done a great job of being able to stay full teams giving up 56 points of fear in each of the previous three games. And one of those games came on the road against E.W. Green Bay. These two teams played about a week and a half ago. In that game, Northern Kentucky got the job done 74-53 to in Northern Kentucky. And that game went 12-27 from three. E.W. Green Bay went 10-22 from three. That is not going to duplicate itself. And in that game, we got a 127 in terms of total points scored with both teams. Just smoldering hot from three-point range. And Northern Kentucky only turned the ball over seven times compared to UW-Green Bay 16. And I think that Green Bay could turn the ball over 16 times once again. You really don't have a lot to rely upon. Cade Meyer along with Clarence Cummings. They combined for 21 points, about 7.5 rebounds per game. And Meyer is the only guy for UW-Green Bay that gives you north of 3.5 rebounds per game. It's a Green Bay squad that they turn the ball over 15 times per game, despite being in the bottom 100 in terms of total possessions per game, UW-Green Bay. Also in the bottom 50 in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis, going up against a Northern Kentucky team that they rank in the bottom 50 in terms of total possessions per game, and that's despite the fact that they played a lot of games that have went to double overtime, and you've got a Northern Kentucky team that is 128th in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis. Sam Vincent, two and a half steals, seven and a half points per contest. He has been great when he's been out there on the floor, and you've also got Marquise Warwick, just a really, really good primary scorer with 19 points per game. Shoots 39% for three. All in all, it is a Northern Kentucky team that does have a tough time at the free throw line, shooting about 65% of the charity stripe. They shoot about 33.5% from three. You've been able to have Chris Brandon dominate down low with nine rebounds per game, but he is the only guy that gives you north of four rebounds per game for this Northern Kentucky team. I do anticipate a lower scoring game. I mean, the last time these two teams played, they were white hot from three-point range, and you got 127 points up on the board. Set my total out of 125.5, so here at the 126, I'm diving under, and for UW-Green Bay, I think that they're going to continue to struggle. It's a sad and not great situation, but here at 17 or more, I'm going to be willing to take the points. I think they get a little bit of a boost after the canning of Will Ryan. 739, 740 on the bidding board. Marshall is going to be playing us to Louisiana Monroe. UL Monroe is between a 15 to a 15 and a half point underdog. Your total is between 146 and a half and 147 and a half. And with Monroe, I did set them as an underdog of 17 points. So I'm going to be willing to lay the 15 to 15 and a half with our good friends Marshall. Marshall has been able to do a great job of being able to get their tempo time and time again. They rank in the top 50 in terms of possessions bringing Louisiana Monroe now a little bit more in the back half of college basketball in terms of total possessions bringing, but with Marshall, this is traditionally a not-so-great defense, but this year, they have risen up to 51st in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, and you're going up against a Louisiana Monroe team that is ranking right around 270th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, and this is despite the fact that Louisiana Monroe, they're not necessarily terrible down low. Victor Bafudo is able to give you a little bit over two blocks per contest. You're able to get nearly seven rebounds per game out of him. Thomas Howell, nine and a half points, seven rebounds, but it's a Monroe team that you do turn the ball for 13 times per game with playing at a little bit of slower pace. And it does hurt them. You've got a pair of guys in 
Tariq LaCour, coupled with Jamari Blackman, they have been able to give you 1.9 to 1.8 steals per game apiece. They combined to shoot about 37% from three. You get a combined about 22.5 points per game out of them. And they're really your lone double-figure scores. It's a Monroe team that is very top-heavy. And then for Marshall, Micah Hangladen has been one of the top rebounders on all of college basketball. 10.9 rebounds per game, seventh in the country. He's been... Very consistent all season long, and it's now been able to chip in there two and a half blocks per game. And then for Marshall, you've got Tavion Kinsey, Andrew Taylor. These two guys, they combine to give you 40 and a half points, 10 rebounds, right around 10 and a half assists, four steals per game. And Taylor, she's 35 and a half percent for three. Kinsey, closer to 33 percent for three with Camden Kerfman from VMI, giving you 12 and a half points. 42% three-point shooting. It should be just complete domination. This Marshall team has really been able to rise up this year as a result. And you take a look at what Marshall's been able to do. They've given up north of 70 points at each other last two games. But the last time they gave up north of 70 points, that game went to overtime. They had given up 71 points in regulation. So... If you look at what has happened in regulation and regulation only, it is a Marshall team that has given up 73 points or fewer in all but one of their last nine games. Meanwhile, you've got a Louisiana Monroe team that it's been very much up and down in terms of their defense. Last five games, they've given up 65, 86, 58, 59, and 77 points. So it is very hilly to say the least. It's a Louisiana Monroe team that has had a tough time getting online with their offense, but I do think that because you are just going to get a lot of possessions in this game, Marshall, a top 45 team in terms of possessions per game, that you're going to see quite a bit of scoring, and you could see some garbage time, which typically that lends the points as well. So my total at 149, looking over with Marshall, made them a 17-point favorite, so I'm going to lay 15 to 15 and a half with them. 741-742 on the betting board. North Carolina A&T plays us at Drexel. Drexel is a 2-2.5 two to two and a half point favorite. Your total between 137.5 and 138.5. I said A&T has a 1.5 point favorite. I'm going to be taking them outright on the money line. With North Carolina A&T, they've been a solid three-point shooting team as they've got Demetra Horton, who's been able to shoot well over 40% from three-point range, coming in from IPFW with 11 points, right around five rebounds per game. And it's a team that has a lot of balance rebounding. For North Carolina A&T, each other top five scores give you at least Four rebounds per game. Nobody gives you north of 5.8 rebounds per game. That would be Austin Johnson. Comes in from UC Irvine. Zotza for the Anteaters. 5.9 points. 5.8 boards. Right around a block per contest. But A&T shoots about 34.5% from three-point range. Now, they do leave a little bit of something to be desired. And they're a team that they play at a relatively moderate pace. If you want to play fast, they'll play fast. If you want to play slow, they'll play slow. They're right around 157th in the country. There's the total possessions per game. While you've got a Drexel team as 337th in the country in possessions per game. They're going to stick you in the mud. And for Drexel, a lot of credit to this defense. They've been able to do a rock solid job all season long for a third in the country. Terms of points slot on a per possession basis that is greater than North Carolina ANTU's clocking it at 320th. But I will say this for North Carolina ANT as well. They are giving up right around 11.8 points fewer per one earned possessions at home rather than on the road. And they seem to have turned over a little bit of a new leaf with their defense. As they have now given up 71 points or fewer in four either last six games. Giving up 86 points of William Mary, not so great. But they were able to get to 90 in that game. So they were able to offset that. And it is an A&T team that has been able to get past the 70-point plateau in four of their last seven games as well. And it's a Drexel team that has actually been able to score north of 75 points in each other last three games. Their last game against Delaware went to overtime, but they only scored four points at overtime. 
for this Drexel team. They do shoot 67% of the free line, big in a close contest as each other top three scores shoot below 68% of the free line. They shoot 33% from three. I like Amari Williams. You should be able to win the battle down low against any of the forwards, eight and a half forwards, 14 points, steal and a half, 2.2 blocks per contest. He's the only guy in the roster that gives you north of five rebounds per game, though. And then you've got Colotel Washington, who's been able to give you right around 10.5 points. Shoots 34.5% from three-point range, but you really lack explosive scores. Made of Koros is someone I thought was going to take some strides forward. He's only been able to give the team five points per game, and it is a Drexel team that, with their slow tempo, giving up 76-plus points in each other last three games, that is a little bit of a concern. I like the way that A&T has rounded into form. They've won four other last five. Drexel is currently riding a three-game win streak, but I do think that North Carolina A&T can hold up on their home floor in a game in which we're going to see very few possessions. I did set my total at a 131.5 as a result, seeing 137.5 to 138.5. That just doesn't match up. Drexel, relatively solid defense that plays super slow in North Carolina A&T. They've been able to strengthen their defense as well, so looking at the under, and I'm taking North Carolina A&T all right on the money line. 743-744 on the betting board. Florida National plays those to Western Kentucky. Western Kentucky, a one and a half to a two-point favorite, and your total is 144, and I did set Western Kentucky as a three-point favorite. I'm willing to lay up to two and a half with them. Western Kentucky does have Jamarian Sharp, who is the top shot pucker in all of college basketball down low and is a giant of the earth at seven foot five. He's been able to contribute 6.6 points, seven boards, 4.3 blocks per game now. They are without Luke Frampton for the remainder of the season. Western Kentucky has shot 38% from three, a top 30 mark in the country, and Frampton is your top three-point shooter, shooting 46% from three, but that said, they still have Davion McKnight. Sachi suffered two steals, four assists, five rebounds, 17 points per game. It's a Western Kentucky team that they're not really going to be playing fast. They're not going to be really playing slow, and Western Kentucky, they're in the middle of a lot of metrics. Like, in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis, they're currently clocking in at 214th. This is a Florida national team that they look to play at a breakneck pace. They've been slowed down a little bit more recently, but still a top 45 team in terms of possessions per game, and I don't know how they're going to be able to match up with Darius Hamilton along with Emmanuel Acop. Both of these guys give you 10.5 points per contest with Hamilton. She's 39.5% from three. Acop more around 35% from three-point range. Acop was a little bit limited towards the beginning of the month of January, and he has been a little bit hot and cold, seven points or fewer in four of the last five games, but I do think that he's going to be able to get right against the Florida National team that they're turning the ball for 15 times per game. They're a little bit all or nothing with that regard, and they've got nobody whatsoever to match up down low against our good friend and Mr. Sharp as Arturo Dean. His 4.2 rebounds per game is right now leading the way for the team. 12 points, 4 boards, 3 assists. She's 22% for 3. Now Denver Jones shoots 39% for 3, 87% free throw line with 19.5 points, right around 4 boards per contest, but it's a FIU team that, as well, they shoot 30.5% for 3, and despite their breakneck pace, other than Dean and Jones, nobody else gives you north of 7.8 points per game. Nick Odorama, 7 points, 4.5 boards, 2 assists per game. That's about it, and for Fleur Nashville, the offense has not been there for them in regulation because their game against Florida Atlantic went to overtime. They have scored 70 points or fewer in four out of their last five games, and last time they played against Western Kentucky, they lost that game by a count of 70-59 to 59 in that game, Florida National. They got plenty of possessions. They didn't do anything with them, and they allowed Western Kentucky to go 9 of 20 from three-point range. In that game, Luke Frampton had just 10 points on two of six three-point shooting, so even with them out of the fold, I do think the Western Kentucky should be able to get the job done. Western Kentucky, first time around, lost a turnover battle 19-13 to 13 as well. I think that you're going to see a little bit of reversal there, so I do think they're going to see more points up on the board. 
Sports Hub. My total at a 145 as a result. Looking at the over with Buster Kentucky. South Bend is a three-point favorite, so want to lay the two that I'm seeing with them. Some 45, some 46 on the banking board. James Madison plays host to Coastal Carolina. Coastal Carolina is between a 12 and 13-point underdog with your total between 115 and a half and 151. And with James Madison, I did set them as a favorite in this ordeal of 14 and a half points with James Madison. Things were not so great when they were without Vado Morse, but Morse is back at the fold and so is this James Madison team. They have looked much better ever since he has come back and they're going up against the Coast Carolina team that is coming off of a hearty loss to Chicago State where they gave up 74 points and for Coastal Carolina. His defense has been absolutely dreadful. They've given up 74-plus points in five out of their last six games. They're in the bottom 50 nationally in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. And this despite the fact that you've got Isam Mustafa giving you 13.5 points, 10.5 rebounds per game. But part of it is that Wilfred Lakai is your only other player that's really giving you north of 3.8 rebounds per game. Chipped in their 5.5 points, 6.5 rebounds per game for a Coastal Carolina team that they do shoot 76.5% of the free line, 32.5% from three-point range. Jamari Brown being out of the fold hurts them. He's been their top scorer of 15 points per game. So you're looking to Antonio Day Jr. He gives you 4.5 assists, 10.5 points per game to really run this offense. But for James Madison, whole is greater than the sum of its parts. You've got four different guys, more so I mentioned before, Mezzi Afra, Tikal Molson, and then you're able to throw in there Terrence Edwards. That'll give you between 10.4 and 13 points per contest. Other than Morse, all these guys give between 4.5 and 5.5 rebounds per game. Morse, Edwards, and Molson combined for about 6.4 assists, Four and a half steals per game, and Edwards shoots 46% from three. James Madison as a whole, they shoot 36% from three. And James Madison, they're playing at one of the most breakneck paces in all of college basketball is in terms of total possessions per game. James Madison, eighth in the country. And even with the losses that they took towards the early part of Sunbelt play when Morse was out of the fold, they still rank in the top 50 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. Actually give up three-tenths of a point fewer per 100 possessions on the road rather than at home. But for James Madison, they're back to firing on all cylinders. They do lose that game to Southern Miss, but by and large, offense has been able to fire once again 70-plus points at each other last three games, I will say. They've given up at least 70 points in four of their last five games. So with Coastal Carolina also giving up the points, I do think that you're going to get a higher scoring affair in this one. I did set my total. I had a 152.5 as a result. I'm going to be willing to go over, but I think with James Madison, you just have too many pieces for this team. Coastal Carolina not going to be able to match up in this ordeal. I do think that James Madison going to be able to get back online after it's been a little bit rough for them, losing three out of their last five games. I set James Madison as a 14.5 point favorite. I think they took out their frustrations on Coastal Carolina. I'm going to lay the number of James Madison and I'm going to be taking a look at this little over 747-748 on the betting board. Right state, it's going to be playing us EW Milwaukee. EW Milwaukee is a underdog of 3.5 to 3 points in your total between 152.5 and 153.5 with right state. I set them as a 3.5 point favorite. Seeing the 3, I'm going to be willing to lay that. Not willing to lay anything more than the 3, but I am willing to lay the three. You've got a UW-Milwaukee bunch of which they are now getting that headline score. B.J. Freeman, he's really been able to take off recently. 15.5 points per game overall for the season, but you take a look at this recent run, and he has been on one as he has scored at least 15 points in each of the team's last seven games, scoring at least 20 in all but one of those contests, five-plus rebounds in every one of those games. He had 11 assists in the previous game. That would be a win 
against Youngstown State as UW-Milwaukee is now riding a nice little win streak. They did take a loss to Wright State, a game that went to overtime, but past that, they've won pretty much six out of their last seven games with a lone loss coming to this very Wright State team. Meanwhile, you take a look at Wright State, and offense has been there for them. They have scored at least 73 points in each other last five games, and as a matter of fact, Last time Wright State was held below 70 points was against Northern Kentucky, a team that plays at a bottom 40 pace in terms of possessions per game as you've got Drake Kelvin who's been able to give the team 19.1 points, 4 assists, and then Brandon Noel at 6'9". He's an Nancy Cabo player that shoots 39% from the outside, 14 points, 8 rebounds per game. Tim Finke has done a good job with A.J. Prong combining for about 18 points. Both of these guys combine to give you about 11 boards. Finke gives you 3.8 assists as a 6'6". A little bit of a combo player. And last time these two teams played, that 78-74 to 74 final, which Wright State got the job done. That was in overtime, but keep in mind, Wright State won that game while going 6-28 from 3. Now, the uh, counter to that is that UW-Milwaukee went 7-29 from 3-point range. Both of these teams were very cold in this game. You had a combined 37 turnovers with UW-Milwaukee actually winning the rebound battle 49-41. to 41. And with UW-Milwaukee... They do a really good job of team rebounding. Each other, top five scores give you at least 4.3 rebounds per game. With none of them giving you north of five rebounds per game. So you don't have that dominant rebounder for this team, but you've got a good rebound by committee team. Armand Rand has been able to give you 2.3 blocks per game. That's in the top 20 nationally as well for UW-Milwaukee, who does shoot 36.5% from three-point range with Wright State. They are a team that they are lacking defensive efficiency, but the offense, it certainly has been there for them as Right state in terms of points a lot under per possession basis right around 200th and for UW-Milwaukee I will say 140th but they are giving up 9.2 points more per 100 possessions when they are on the road rather than when they are at home. Both of these teams playing at a very nice brisk pace as Wright State 24th in the country in terms of possessions per game. UW-Milwaukee 34th in the country. I do think that you're going to see warmer shooting in this game though I will say with UW-Milwaukee they've been able to play a little bit more defense and you did see both of these teams do a good job of defending one another the first time around. I did set my total at a 151 and that first time these two teams played. It would have went under if it wasn't for the fact that the game went to overtime so I'm going to be diving under in this spot and with Wright State, set them as a three and a half point favorite. Going to be one to lay up to three with them. 749, 750 on the betting board. It is Florida Atlantic, and they are going to be playing us Middle Tennessee. Middle Tennessee is a underdog of eight to nine and a half points, and your total is between 135 and a half and 136. And with Florida Atlantic, set them as a nine point favorite. I am mostly seeing nines out there, but seeing that eight currently, yeah, I'm going to be one to lay the eight with our good friends, Florida Atlantic. Go Owls, in the words of Lane Kiffin, and for Florida Atlantic, they just check every single one of these boxes as they are a team that ranks in the top 55 nationally in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis. They're a mid-tempo team, right around 200th in terms of possessions per game. Middle Tennessee, just a little bit faster, but they're more of a mid-tempo team as well. But Middle Tennessee, I'll be honest here, they just don't do anything really that great. I mean, in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis, it's not like they're a bad defensive team or anything like that, but... For a team that's had this much success, you'd expect them to be a tad bit better than 97th. With this regard, you got Eli Lawrence along DeAndre Dishman combining for 24 points, about 10 rebounds, 2.3 steals per game. Dishman does shoot 50% from three, but on low volume for a middle Tennessee team that they generate eight steals per game. They only shoot those 68% in free line, 32.5% from three-point range with nearly 14 turnovers per game. Cam Weston, Elias King... 
to Fell Leonard. I mean, all these guys that give you between like eight to nine and a half points per game, they're solid, but they don't match up quite with a Florida Atlantic team that they've got really good balance. As you've got five different guys that give you between 9.2 and 12.7 points per game among these scores, all but one of them give you at least 4.1 rebounds per game with their three double figure scores. And John L. Davis, Elijah Martin, along with Vladislav Golden, give you between 5.2 and 6.2 rebounds per game. Golden is a 7-footer that chips in their block per contest. Davis shoots 42.5% from 3 for our Florida Atlantic team that shoots 37.5% from distance. This is a Florida Atlantic team that they can win in really any way because they have given up 64 points or fewer in now 4 of the last 5 games and the lone exception is a game that went to overtime. They also scored 88 points on UAB to win an 88-86 to slobberknocker to begin the month of January. They put up 101 points against Eastern Michigan, so they are a little bit of a chameleon. And for Middle Tennessee, give them credit. In games that have wrapped up in regulation because they did play a little bit of an overtime game, they have given up 68 points or fewer in each other last five games and in six out of their last seven, so they've been able to do a relatively solid job of holding up on that front. I do think that Florida Atlantic, they're also going to be batting down the hatches with their defense. I did set my total at a 135 as a result. I'm going to be diving under, but for Atlantic, just so well-rounded. So many pieces to utilize, and it's a Middle Tennessee team that they really don't do anything too well. I'm going to be willing to lay the 8 with Florida Atlantic, and I'm going to be taking a look at the subtle under. 751, 752 on the betting board. Michigan State plays us to Iowa. Iowa is an underdog of 3 to 2.5 points, and your total on this game is there between 147.5 and 148.5. I did set Michigan State as a 5-point favorite. Now, Connor McCaffrey is a game-time decision, and I've pretty much ruled him into the fold. I do think that you're going to be seeing both of the McCaffrey brothers because I brought up Connor McCaffrey, the one that's more of note is Patrick McCaffrey, who's been missing the last few days. Connor McCaffrey, I guess he might be a game-time decision because I guess we're all game-time decisions, but I think that he should be in as well. But that's it for Patrick McCaffrey. Stepped away for some personal issues. Hasn't played since January 1st. Lions two games that we saw him. He scored a combined eight points, but overall for the season, 13 points. Five rebounds per contest. I think that he comes back and he'll probably be a little bit rusty if he does. I think that he's going to be down a little bit from those numbers, but should be able to provide a little bit of pop. You've got Philip Bratcher down low. He's able to give you 14 points, 8 half boards. She's 40% from three. And Chris Murray, she's 37.5% from the outside, 21 points. Nine rebounds per game. And both of these teams, they're pretty efficient on offense, and they do leave a little bit of something to be desired on defense. Iowa, a team has turned the ball over just 7.3 times per game. Michigan State, fewer than 12 turnovers per contest, and neither team really generates a lot of turnovers. And for Iowa, I mean, their defense just leaves a lot to be desired. 190th in the country. Turns points a lot on a per-possession basis with Michigan State. This is 105th, but Michigan State also allowing 14 points fewer per 100 possessions at home rather than on a roadside-shooter court. And let's call it what it is. Big Ten home courts are just absolutely massive. And with Michigan State, you got a nice big three. Ty Walker, Joey Hauser, A.J. Hogard. Hogard, six assists, 12.5 points per game. Hauser and Walker both shoot about 41% from three, and all three of these guys shoot north of 80% at the free throw line. Hauser, 14.7.5 boards. Meanwhile, Walker gives you 2.5 assists, a steal, 14 points per game. And Jaden Akins has now been able to step up a little bit as well. He was off to a little bit of a rough start to the season, but he's now scored in double figures in each of the last two games, coming off of a four-steal effort against Rutgers as well. So, I like what I'm starting to see there. And for Iowa, they've been really good at Carver Hawkeye Arena. They did get that win against Rutgers on the road, but past that, it's been a little bit rough for them. And for Michigan State, they've been able to do their job at home, being able to get a lot of covers on the road. It's been a little bit more herky-jerky. And 
with Michigan State, you sort of know what you're going to get out of this offense. They have not exceeded 70 points in their last five games, but with that said, they're a team that they do a nice job of being able to play a little bit more of mid-tempo. You've got an Iowa team that they play in the top 55 in terms of possessions per game. Iowa is just one of those teams that naturally, they seem to always get their style. They seem to always be able to crank up the tempo. So I do think that this is going to be a little bit of a faster game. I did set my total at a 147 here at 147.5. I do think that we've gone up a little bit too high because Michigan State, they themselves have been a pretty constant team and they're only about 280th in terms of possessions per game. So here at 147.5, it is my buy point on the under, but I think that home court going to be reigning supreme for Michigan State with their big three. Willing to lay up to four and a half with them, set them as a five-point favorite. So look at Michigan State and the under in this ordeal, 753, 754 on the betting board, Western Illinois plays us to South Dakota. South Dakota is an underdog of between five and a half and six points, and your total is there between 143 and a half and 144 and a half. I feel like a lot of people starting to overvalue Western Illinois after Trenton Master won out for north of 40 points in the team's previous game. I set this number at 2.5. I'm going to be willing to take the points with South Dakota. Now, you got a pair of teams that are very grimy on defense. South Dakota, a bottom 40 team in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis. And Western Illinois is a little bit better, but they're 275th with this regard. In South Dakota, you've got really two guys that give you north of four rebounds per game. Tazas Kamateros along with Damani Hayes. Hayes right around seven rebounds per game as a 6'4", get-your-nose-dirty sort of undersized big. Kamateros, he's a 6'8 combo player that gives you 11.5 points, 6.5 boards, shooting 39.5% from three. And South Dakota, they shoot over 40% from the outside. AJ Plyswick, Cruz, Peru, Hunt have been able to combine for 26.5 points with Plyswick. He shoots 49% from three-point range, and he's coming off of a 19-point performance that we saw against good old Oma. And then Peru Hunt, he has been a little bit up and down, but he's been able to find his form as well for our South Dakota team that they are coming off of a nice 84-point performance against Oma. This after they were having a rough time with their offense, scoring 64 points or fewer in each of the previous four games. Meanwhile, it's a Western Illinois team that they themselves have been a little bit brutal on offense, 63 points or fewer in three out of their last four games. They do have a bit of something down low, and Josiah West was able to give you six and a half rebounds per game, and then you've got Master, I mentioned before. He's one of the best set sheet sufferers in all of college basketball. Five and a half boards, five assists, 18 points per game, shooting 37.5% from three, coming off of a 46-point sizzler against North Dakota, a game in which the team was able to win by kind of 92-80, to 80, but keep in mind, North Dakota, one of the saddest defenses that we've ever seen in college basketball, Alec Rosner, 14.5 points, he shoots 40% from three, but Western Illinois whole. they shoot 32.2% from three, they're a mid-tempo team with right around 12 turnovers per game, and South Dakota is a little bit more of a slow-tempo team as well. You've got a pair of inefficient defenses, but you also have a pair of teams that are very, very slow with their approach, so... I did as a result. Semi total at 142 and a half. Other than their previous game, both of these teams they have been going under in a lot of their contests, and I do think that for Western Illinois, they are going to be sinking back to earth a little bit after Master went off for 46 points in the previous game. I think that Water is going to find its level with him, and I do think that Western Illinois gets a job done in this ordeal because I do think that they've got a tad bit more down low, but. 
I do think that both of these teams can have a little bit of a tough time putting the ball in the basket. So my number at 2.5, I'm going to be looking to take the points with a South Dakota team that is by far the better three-point shooting team in this ordeal going up against the Western Illinois team that has not been guarding the arc all season long. So going to be one to take the points and the under 755, 756 on the betting board. Little Rock is going to be on the road facing off against Borat State. Morad State is a 7 to a 7.5 point favorite, and your total is between 144.5 and 145.5. With Little Rock, I set them as a 9 point underdog. I'm going to be willing to lay the number with Morad State. Morad State, in my opinion, has the best pure guard in this game, and that would be Mark Freeman, who's able to give you 14.5 points, 3.5 assists, shooting 40.5% from three point range. And you've got a battle of tempos in this game. It's Morad State, one of the slowest teams that you're going to find in all of college basketball, and by far the slowest team in this conference. 299th in the country in terms of total possessions per game. And for Little Rock, 46th in the country in terms of possessions per game. Both of these teams leaving quite a bit of something to be desired on defense with Morehead State. In terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, this team is clocking in right around 312th. And for Arkansas, Little Rock, not going any better for them at 330th, but... With Morad State, I do think that Alex Gross is going to be able to do a good job down low with 12.7 boards. He's able to provide 1.6 blocks per contest. Has come in from the Don D1 level, and he has been terrific. And it's going to be matched up with Myron Gardner. He's been able to do a nice job as a 6 of 5 do it all player for Little Rock, shooting nearly 40% from three, 13.5 points, 9.5 boards, but 12 points or fewer in three out of the last four games. Teams seem to be starting to figure them out a little bit, and it's a Little Rock team that has really went down the tubes recently in terms of their offense. This is a bunch that they have scored 68 points or fewer in now three out of their last five games with a tempo like that that is very, very concerning, and got a Morehead State team that is coming off of allowing 63 and 58 points respectively in their last two games. They've been a little bit of an all-over-the-place team because prior to that, they had given up north of 75 points in their previous two games, and that's just what you're going to get out there in the Ohio Valley Conference. You're going to see a wide range of totals, and for Morehead State, they've been persevering without Jalen Hawkins. He's been out for much of the season, but having someone like a Khalil Thomas say we give you four and a half boards, seven and a half points per game, that's important, and for Little Rock, they just have not been able to find that good blend in the backcourt. Other than Gardner, you've got one guy that gives you north of four and a half rebounds per game, and that would be D'Antoni Gordon with 11 points, five and a half boards, and it's a Little Rock team that they shoot about 32% from three-point range, but Gardner, he's had to be a little bit of a point forward for this team, so that makes Little Rock very, very easy to be able to scheme against. So you cut off Gardner, and you pretty much cut off the head of the snake. I did set this number at 145 in terms of total. We're seeing this anywhere between 144.5 and 145.5. I personally would rather have the 144.5 over rather than the 145.5 under because we have seen more at State give up north of 75 points in three out of their last six games, and it is a team that they themselves have been able to ascend a little bit more with their offense. They've gotten to at least 67 points in far of their last five games, and it's a little rock team has given up at least 74 points in five out of their last six games, so I do think that you're going to be able to get points upon the board in this game, and with Morris State, set them as a nine-point favorite, so I'm going to be willing to lay the numbers. Some 57, some 58 on the betting board. Monte Berries is going to be playing as Fairfield. The Stags of Fairfield are a one to two-point favorite, and your total is between 124 and and 125, and I set my total at 122. I am diving under, and with the Mount, made them a two-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to take Mount St. Mary's outright on the money line 
With Mount St. Mary's, they have not really been able to ascend with their offense. The last time Mount St. Mary's was able to get to the 70-point plateau, you have to go all the way back to December 1st. With that said, they have allowed fewer than 70 points in all but one of their last 12 games as well, and they gave up 72 points to Siena about a week or so ago. So it's been a Mount St. Mary's team that has played very slow and controlled games, and you do have a nice backcourt with this Mount team as Dakota Lafue, Jalen Benjamin, they combined for 27.5 points, about 6 assists. Both of these guys shoot north of 38% from 3. And for the Mount, they do shoot 35.5% from 3, but they're a bottom 75 team in terms of possessions per game that turns the ball over 14 times per game. And Fairfield is a slug that's in the bottom 40 in terms of total possessions per game that they shoot 28% from 3 par range. They've been dealing with an injury to Caleb Fields. Your top scoring guard, 12.5 points, 2 assists per contest, shooting about 30% from 3, which honestly is above average for this team. So you've been looking to Jake Wojcik and TJ Long to be able to pick things up. And for Wojcik, you give a little bit of credit where credit is due. Prior to this recent run where we've been seeing fields out of the fold, who should be good to go in this game. Did play against Siena. Went 1 of 10 from the floor, but he was back out there on the floor. But without having fields out there, he was able to become a little bit more of a primary scorer with him back. He had just two points in that game. So you got to figure that he's going to be taking on more of that backup role once again, but that's it. With Supreme Cook, he should be the best little post player in this game for Fairfield. 13 points, 8.5 rebounds per game, but I do think that Malik Jefferson is going to be able to match up relatively well in this game. 9.5 points, 6.5 boards, right around a block per contest, and you do have a Mount St. Mary's team with some nice depth. George Tinsley is able to give you 7.5 points, 6.5 rebounds per game. You've been able to get about 7.5 points out of DeAndre Thomas as well, and for Fairfield, just been a team that's been all over the place this season as they have not been able to get past the 70-point plateau this calendar year, and that includes a game that went to overtime. And if you take a look at them against D1 competition, it is a Fairfield team that may be able to exceed the 70-point plateau once since Thanksgiving. So I do think that you're going to get a very slow, very controlled game. That has been all that the Mount has been playing, but... I think that Mount St. Mary's just has flat out a better backcourt. Caleb Fields is back, but he doesn't look to be 100% as well. So I set Mount St. Mary's as the favorite two points, taking them on the money line as an underdog. Me my total 122 with the way that they have been playing. So also looking under. 759, 760 on the betting board. Towson is going to be playing us in Northeastern. Northeastern is an underdog of 9.5 to 10.5 points. And your total on this game is 130. And I did set Northeastern as a 9.5 point underdog. 10 is my buy point on them. You've got a Towson team that ranks in the bottom 40 in terms of possessions per game in Northeastern. They'll be able to ascend to more around about 230th, 240th in terms of possessions per game. It is a Northeastern team that's leaving a tad bit of something to be desired on defense in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis. They're right around 175th in the country, and they're going up against a Towson team that Honestly, it's been a bit of a disappointment this year. Towson, about 100th in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, but the big thing for Towson is that you expected Jason Gibson to be able to fire on all cylinders from three-point range. He has been banged up, and we have not seen him really since the third game of the season. So that has meant that you've had to really rely upon Nicholas Timberlake to bring Sexy back. He and Cam Holden are combining for 30 points per contest. They give you a combined 10 rebounds. Holden, 4.4 assists, 1.9 seals per game. And Timberlake, they shoot 35% from three for a Towson team as a whole. Now they're shooting about 35% from the outside. They've been able to rise up a little bit more in recent games. You've got Charles Thompson who's able to give you seven and a half rebounds per game, but you need a little bit more out of some of the ancillary pieces. Nigel Russell gives you 8.5 points, 4.8 rebounds per game, but Christian May has only been able to give you about 3 points per contest. 
They've dealt with an injury to Chase Parr all season long as well. And for Northeastern, Chris Doherty, who comes in from Notre Dame, he's been solid with 9 points, 6 boards, ships in there 2.5 assists per game, despite the fact that he stands right around six foot seven. as we've been able to give the team 13-plus rebounds. In two out of the last three games, Jamile Telford has contributed 16 points per game, shooting 37% from three for a Northeastern team that they've been able to ascend with their three-point shooting percentage, much like Towson. They're up to 34.5% three-point shooting now with Northeastern. 15 turnovers per game and 65.5% free throw shooting has really hurt them recently, but we have seen this Northeastern team do a solid job batting down the hatches on defense. They have given up 66 points or fewer in now three out of their last five games, and they have given up fewer than 70 points in now five out of their last seven overall. And then you've got a Towson team that they are really starting to rein it in on defense, allowing 62 points or fewer in each out of their last five games. And for that matter, you want to date it back to the beginning of the calendar year, six out of their last seven. I do think that this is going to be a game that is going to be featuring quite a bit of defense. I did set my total at a 127.5. I do think that there's a little bit of a chance of late game falling, but I think that this total is too high. I'm going to be willing to take the under in this ordeal with Northeastern. I do think that they are starting to run into a Towson team and starting to find themselves, but at the same time, Northeastern may be able to ascend a little bit more with their offense, be able to can some threes. I do think that they're going to hold up on the glass. We'll take 10 or more with Northeastern. 761, 762 on the betting board. It is Stony Brook and they hit the road to face off against America's favorite tag team in William & Mary. You don't just get William, you don't just get Mary, but if you take the Tribe, you lay between 3.5 and 4.5 and points with them and your total on this game. It is between 132 and 132.5, and, and with William & Mary, I'm willing to lay up to 4 points with them. I did sub William & Mary as a 4.5 point favorite with William & Mary. Bottom 40 team in terms of possessions per game. A bottom feeding team in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis at 326th. But going up against one of the worst offenses in all of college basketball in Sony Brook. A Sony Brook team that they themselves are in the bottom one in terms of total possessions per game. And Sony Brook 277th of the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. But the reason why I did set my total at a 126F is that I just don't think you're going to get enough shooting. Out of Stony Brook to be able to get this total over as it's a Stony Brook team that they've actually been able to do a little bit more on defense recently. They've been leaving a lot to be desired on offense, though, as it's a Stony Brook team that overall for the season averaging fewer than 63 points per game. And for Stony Brook, they have scored 67 points or fewer in every single game this calendar year. And for Stony Brook, Last time they were able to exceed 70 points, they went up against Yale on December 3rd. So it's been about 11, maybe 12 games ever since they've been able to break the 67-point plateau. And the defense has honestly not been too terrible for the Stony Brook team. They have allowed 66 points or fewer in four out of their last five games. And as a matter of fact, five out of their last six. Stony Brook bunch that they do have Frankie Pacelli down though. Give you 12.5 points, 9.5 boards, shoot 36.5% from three. But as a whole, is a Stony Brook team that they shoot 31.5% from three-point range. Tyler Stevenson more, 15 points, 4.5 boards. He's been relatively okay. And then you've got the Keenans, Keenan Sarvin, Keenan Fitzmorris. They both give you 8.9 points per game and combine 8 rebounds per contest. And that's about all that you have with the Seaman. For William and Mary, you know, Collier is your entire team down low. Nine and a half points, eight and a half rebounds comes in for Pittsburgh, and they are headlined by a pair of guys in Glenn Dorsey 
and Anders Nelson that both shoot above 40% from three-point range, combining for 21.7 points per game. And with Dorsey, he's been able to ascend recently. Combined 39 points, eight rebounds in the team's last two contests. So he has looked relatively solid there, but lots of top-end scoring and not much past that. Ben White, 10.5 points, four and a half rebounds per game. And then you got one other guy that gives you north of five points per game, and Chris Mullins comes in from Rice, and he has been able to give the team about six and a half points per game, but he shoots 17% from three-point range. It's a William & Mary team that has been all over the place with their defense. They have given up 80-plus points in each of the previous three games, and prior to that, they had given up 66 points or fewer in three of their previous four games. So, for William & Mary, certainly the wide range and gamut of emotions for their defense. I think that they're going to lock down a Stony Brook team that has not been able to find anything whatsoever on offense, and with the way that both of these teams play a very slow, grimy style, I think that this is going to be a slog. 7-8-12 at 126.5. I'm diving under with William & Mary blowing a layup to 4 with them. 763-764 on the betting board. Hofstrights road face-off against Elon. Elon is a home underdog between 11 and 12 points with your total 140 to 140.5. With Hofstra, made them a 12-point favorite, mostly seeing 11.5 and... and the 11 and a half is the maximum on the lay, but I'm on the lay. Elon, give them credit. They were able to hold in there against South, and they lose that game by kind of 66 to 62. And it's an Elon team that the offense has not been there for them all season long. If you take a look at games that they have played against T1 competition, it's an Elon squad that has gotten to north of 73 points once all season long. You've got one guy that I do like in Sean Alvin who's been able to give you 12.5 points, 4.5 assists, 2.2 sales per game for an Elon team that shoots right around 29.5% from 3. He shoots 92% of the free throw line, 32% from 3-bar range, and then Zach Irvin, Max McKinnon, they combine for about 22 points per contest with McKinnon is 5.3 rebounds per game, currently leads the way, and that's big because Hofstra, they do not have much of anything down low. Aaron Estrada has had to do everything, and he has been incredible at doing so. 4 assists, 5.3 rebounds, 20 points per game, on 35% three-point shooting for a Hofstra team that shoots 35.5% from three. This is one of the most efficient mid-major offenses in all of college basketball. And for Hofstra, they leave quite a bit of something to be desired on defense because they really don't have a lot of rebounding. 159th in the country. Turns points a lot on a per-possession basis. Elon, though, they are 317th. I will say this for Elon. Giving up more points on a per-possession basis at home rather than on the road. It's only by three-tenths of a point, but... Still, that is something that I find to be very interesting. And for Hofstra, they're not necessarily an up-tempo team, even though they're very guard-oriented. They're right around 200th in the country in terms of total possessions per game. Elon Moore on 237th. So we got a pair of mid-tempo teams. Warren Williams down low for Hofstra, right around 8.5 points, 4.5 rebounds per game. He's been solid, but it's all about what you're able to get out of Darrelson Dunbar and Tyler Thomas to help out Estrada. They combine for 25 points, 8.5 boards. Both of these guys combined to shoot about 39% from three. And Hofstra, only about 11.5 turnovers per game. We got an Elon team that they're turning the ball for 13 times for contest. You really don't get a lot of help out of a lot of these guys. And Torrance Watson, he's been a little bit banged up, has given the team 10 points of fear in each of the last three contests after a relatively odd start to the season. And it's an Elon team that has scored 66 points or fewer in far of the last five games. Meanwhile, you've got a Hofstra team that's been playing significantly better on defense, giving up fewer than 70 points in each of their last five games. I do think that scoring is going to be at a premium in this game. Semi-total at 134, diving under, and with Hofstra willing to lay up to 11.5 with them. 765, 766 on the betting board. It is Mammoth. And the red face-off against 
UNC Wilmington. Wilmington between a 16 and a half to an 18 point favor with your total 129 to 129 and a half. I saw Wilmington as an 18 and a half point favorite. I'm going to be willing to land. This Monmouth team is just all sorts of sad right now. They have scored 66 points or fewer in each other last eight games. For this Monmouth team, they've been able to exceed 70 points, I believe, twice this year. They might be mistaken, but I think that they've gotten three times. They've gotten past the 70 point plateau three times, and one of those was a 71 point performance against Syracuse, in which they got as lucky as all junk. You've got Miles Foster, who's been able to give you 12 and a half points, six and a half boards, but he's made as many three pointers as Greg Peterson for Monmouth. They play at a actually somewhat fast pace, right around one earth in terms of possessions per game, but they turn the ball over 16 times per game. They shoot 61.5% of the free line they shoot, and I'm not kidding here, 26% from three-point range. They do generate eight steals per game. Jack Collins, Miles Ruth, they combine to be able to give you about 16 points per game. They combine for about three steals, and this is a Wilmington team that they rank in the bottom 75 in terms of total possessions per game. Malik Harden and Ace, Drew Zarian White, they combine for 24 points and an half boards, and Harden Ace shoots 92% free line, 45% from three. Wilmington, a team that ranks barely above 160th in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis, but a lot of good ancillary pieces. Donovan Newby, Shaikim Phillips, Amari Kelly, Jalen Thomas. They'll give you between about 6.5 to 8.5 points per game. They only turn the ball over about 11.5 times per contest. And with Wilmington, a top three cover eight team since the beginning of the 2021-22 season. They've won 12-7-1 against the spread at Monmouth. 5-15 against the spread. 1-19 straight up. Bookmakers cannot find the sell point on this team. I will say this for Monmouth. The defense has honestly been a little bit better for them. They have given up 70 points or fewer, and now really four out of their last seven games. So, you know what? They've been able to do a little bit of a better job there, but you do have a Wilmington team that may have given up 71 points or fewer in each out of their last five games, and really for every single game of this calendar year, they have given up 71 points or fewer. Last time they gave up north of 71 points, that was to a high-point team that is playing at a top 25 pace in terms of possessions per game, so I do anticipate a relatively low score game, but I think we've went down a little bit too low because the last time these two teams played, though it was a 68-55 to game, Wilmington only won 5 of 19 from three-point range in that game. They shot overall 46% from the floor in Monmouth. Though they're a bad shooting team, even they are better than 1 of 11 from three-point range, so I do think that we are going to see a little bit more in this spot in Wilmington. They've been able to ascend a bit with their offense. Semi-total at a 130.5. So I don't think we're too far off, but here below 130, I'm going to be willing to take a look at the over. And with Wilmington, willing to lay up to 18 with them, set them as an 18.5 point favorite. 767, 768 on the bank board. Memphis is going to be playing us SMU. SMU between a 12 to a 13 point underdog with your total between 147.5 and 148. With Memphis, I did set them as a 14-point favorite. So here between 12 and 13, I'm going to be willing to lay the number. With Memphis, I really like what I've been seeing out of them thus far this season. I, it is a team that has, in my opinion, a top-five point guard in all of college basketball. And Kendrick Davis does an amazing job building out the ball. 21 points, 5.8 assists, 2 steals per contest, 20-plus points at each out of the last four games. He does turn the ball over a little bit too much, but and said he's a high-usage guy that has done a great job of being able to get six foot nine. DeAndre Williams going. He was shooting 39% from three with 16.9 points, 7.5 boards. It is a Memphis team that has been playing at a breakneck pace. They are in the top 20 nationally, 
terms of total possessions per game. It's an SMU team that they're not afraid to run either. They're now right around 75th in the country in terms of total possessions per game. I do expect the Memphis defense to get a little bit better. In terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, they're 75th. Typically, they're a top 50 defense under your Penny Hardaway SMU. I don't think that they're going to be improving very much as they're a team that they're having a rough time shooting it from three. And that's a rank one or an 80th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. Giving up 15 more points per one earned possessions when on a road slash neutral court rather than when they are at home. So that's been a bit of an issue. You do have a pair of guys in Zach Natal along with Zarek Phillips. They've been able to do a solid job. Both of these guys are able to give you double figures that combine about 32 points between the two of them. And overall, these two guys combined to shoot about 32% from three-point range for the season. But if you do take a look ever since the beginning of the month of December, it's been a little bit better, but still... It's a very top-heavy team. F.E. Obadiji, Samuel Williamson, they combine for a little bit under 19 points, 14 and a half rebounds per game, and you get a little bit over a steal and a block per game out of Williamson, but outside that big four, you don't have much else. You've got one other player that gives you north of four points per game. Meanwhile, from Memphis, you've got someone like an Alex Lomax that ranks in the top 10 nationally in terms of steals per game, gives you three and a half assists, eight points per game. Elijah McCaden shoots 35%. From three-point range, it is a Memphis team that is able to fire on all cylinders, and it does seem like the defense is starting to pick it up quite a bit. They've allowed 70 points or fewer in three of the last five games. The double overtime game against Central Florida certainly was a little bit unsightly, but for SMU, not a question more. This team is at offensively as well as they have scored fewer than 70 points in four of their last five games in regulation as well. So I do think that Memphis is going to do a good job of tying down SMU in this ordeal. I did set my total at a 150 because I do think that Memphis, so they're going to tighten up a little bit on defense. This is still a team that is playing a top 20 pace in terms of possessions per game at SMU. They are not really slowing down as well. So looking at the over and with Memphis, one lay up to 13 and a half with them. 769, 770 on the betting board. Tennessee Tech plays us at SIU and Edwardsville. Edwardsville is a favorite of two to one and a half points. And your total is between 137 and 138.5 with SIU Edwardsville. Set them as a three-point favorite. I'm going to be one to lay the number. Rough week last week for SIU Edwardsville. They're coming off of a pair of losses, but I do like what I've been seeing out of this SIU Edwardsville team overall for the season. You've got the Wright brothers and Shamar and Lamar Wright. That offers some very good versatility, and you've been able to have a lot for this team in general with their defensive efficiency. They rank in the top 150 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, which out in the Ohio Valley Conference is actually really, really good because nobody in this conference is playing any defense. You've got a Tennessee Tech team that is a mid-tempo team that has left a lot to be desired on defense, and they've not been able to do a lot down low because Jalen Sabri has had to do it all for the CME. Chips in there, 13 points, 6 half boards, 2 assists, does shoot 39% for three, and I will say for Tennessee Tech, they're shooting right around 35.2% from three-point range, but 290th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. You do have Tyler Perry and Brett Thompson, both giving you between 10 and 10.2 points per game. You've got Thompson shooting 45.5% for three, Perry 38% from the outside, and gotten 47.5% three-point shooting out of Javis Harvey, who's been able to chip in their 14-plus points in four of the last five games. He has been on one recently, and as a result, we have been seeing Tennessee Tech be able to put some points upon the board. They have been able to exceed the 70-point plateau and now each out of their last six games, and you take a look at the Tennessee Tech team, and they're also doing a good job of giving up the points. As they have allowed at least 70 points in, I believe, all but four of their last 10 games, so 
And certainly you've been giving it up as well. You've got an SA Ordersville team that has really stifled on defense. 67 points of fear surrendered in four other last five games. So got a pair of teams that are going in opposite directions. I did mention the Wright brothers and what they are able to do. It combined about 20 points, 7 at boards. And you've got Lamar Wright shooting 47% for three. But Dijon Pruitt has really been able to do a solid job down low with Wright around 12 points, 8.4 rebounds per game. Was a little bit banged up towards the beginning part of the season, but has returned 9 plus rebounds in each of the last four games, 13 plus rebounds in three out of the last four. I think that SAU Edwardsville should be able to win from within, be able to get back online, and you do have a Tennessee Tech team that started to ascend a little bit more with their offense, but I do think that Edwardsville going to put the clamps down on defense, set Edwardsville as a three-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay the number. I think that Edwardsville gets their style, which means that I do think that you get a little bit of a lower-scoring game in a game involving a Tennessee Tech team that's a little bit more mid-tempo in the themselves in regulation because their last game went to double overtime against Southeast Missouri State has allowed fewer than 70 points in three of the last four. So, a circumstance where I'm going to be looking at the under, and I'm going to lay up to two and a half with Edwardsville. Sub-71, sub-72 on the winning board. Louisiana is going to be playing as a Troy. Troy is a four and a half to a five and a half point underdog with your total between 143 and 143 and a half. Troy made them a five point underdog, so willing to take five and a half before I'd be willing to lay four and a half. I'm going to be seeing how this line marinates in the AM because this gets down to like a four with Louisiana. That would be a nice buy point there. If we get a lot of five and a half to sixes with Troy, I would be willing to buy in there. But at current numbers, I would rather take the five and a half with Troy rather than lay the four and a half with Louisiana. The big reason why is because you just have the team that travels a little bit better in Troy because they are the better defensive team. As a matter of fact, they're at 48th in the country. Turns points a lot on a per possession basis, giving up 2.9 points fewer per one our possessions in a roadside shoot record environment rather than at home. And for Louisiana, they ranked 220th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, only giving up 1.8 points for your per one hundred possessions at home rather than on the road. Now, with Louisiana, they should be able to win the battle down low. You've got Terrence Lewis the second, and also the former McDonald's All-American and Jordan Brown combining for 15.9 rebounds per game. They combine for about 32 points per game and We've got a Louisiana team that shoots 39.5% from three. Greg Williams shoots 45.5% from the outside. Kentrell Garnett, eight points. Steal per game. He shoots 48% from the outside. And Williams right around 13.5 points per game. But for Troy, hole is greater than some of its parts with this team. Even with Duke Miles missing much of the season. You've got Christian Eugene, Zay Williams, Amir Muhammad. I'll give you between about 11 to 12 points per game. Williams has been able to chip in their six boards and a steal per game. Eugene gives you a steal per game. And Eugene also shoots 41% from three-part range. And then you got Nelson Phillips. Comes in from Georgia State. 9.9 points, two assists, 5.6 rebounds, two seals per game. He has been dominant for this team. Has been a little bit banged up recently. Played limited minutes against Louisiana Monroe and James Madison. I'm sort of expecting the same from him in this game as well. But Kayleaf Punter, Darius McNeil, these are guys that are able to contribute when they're out there on the floor because I'm thinking that McNeil probably going to be rather limited in this game as well, but that said, he's been able to return recently and has looked relatively solid with that aspect. You've got a Troy team that you've got so much great depth with this team, and it's a Troy bunch that they've done a good job of being able to ratchet up their defense, allowing fewer than 60 points in four of their last five games, and it's a Louisiana bunch that they've allowed at least 70 points in four of their last five games, so Good old situation of something's got to give. I do think that we get late game falling, so I did something to 139. I do think that Troy going to be able to win out with their side, which is why I do default a little bit more to getting 5.5 points and laying 4.5. So with Troy, we'll take 5.5 or more with them, and I'm going to be taking a look at this total under 773, 774 on the betting board. It is Texas State. They play us in Georgia Southern. Georgia Southern 
is a underdog of between one and a half and three points, and your total is between 123 and 143 and a half. And with Georgia Southern, I did set them as a four and a half point underdog. Now, you do want to note that Texas State has been missing their top scorer, Mason Harrell, and in their last game without him against Louisiana, that game was just all sorts of ugly. That was a 60 to 51 loss for Texas State as Harrell has been able to give the team 16 points per contest. I'm currently expecting him out, and if he does play in this game, he's most likely going to be a little bit less than 100%, so do note that in terms of your handicapping, but that said, this is a Georgia Southern team that they just don't have a lot going for them in terms of their offense as well. They shoot 66% of the free line, 29% from three-point range, and yeah, Texas State team that, well, it's not necessarily too much better for them as they may able to shoot overall for the season 29% from three, 70% at the free throw line. But what is massive for Texas State and reason why I am on them is that now they're starting to get Nigel Caesar back in full. He only played nine minutes against Louisiana. I expect him to play more minutes in that game. And that'll be big because they'll be able to team up with Tyrell Morgan, who's been able to give you eight points, six and a half rebounds per game. And when Caesar's been 100%, he's been able to pull in there right around eight rebounds per game. You've been able to get a little bit more in the backcourt. Uh, Drew Drynan, along with also a gentleman in Dylan Dawson, that they've been able to combine for about three and a half assists per game. Drynan about seven points, shoots 38% from three-point range. Flip side for Georgia Southern. You do have a front court that involves Carlos Curry down low, seven and a half points, seven rebounds. He's been able to do a solid job. And then Jalen Finch, he does give you ten and a half points, three and a half boards, three and a half assists, shooting 36% from three-point range. But the rest of their backcourt is just a bunch of dudes. Caden Archie, Ty Strickland, Kamari Brown, Tyron Moore. You know, give you between about seven and a half and ten points per game. Typically, I love teams in which a hole is greater than the sum of its parts. This sum of its parts is just not good, though. It's, all these guys don't shoot it well from three-point range. I mean, you get more going for about a steal per game along with Brown, but I mean, it's just not necessarily a good blend. Without Cam Bryant this year, this team has really struggled So. Even though Texas State is a little bit short-handed, I do lean to them in this spot. Georgia Southern has not been too bad with their defense. In terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis, they're right around 177th in the country. Texas State, they, in terms of their points a lot on a per-possession basis, they're in that neighborhood right around 140th. Both of these teams have been playing at a super so style end for Texas State. And we'll say they are giving up 6.6 points more per 100 possessions when they are at home rather than on the road. I do think that this is going to be a game in which it's going to be slow and grimy, but I do think that it comes down to late game following, which is why I set my total at 124 and a half. I think we're just a tad bit too low. I think there's a little bit too much overreaction with the Harrell injury. So looking at the over, I went Texas State, want to lay up to four with them. 775, 776 on the bang board. Southern Miss is going to be playing us Arkansas State. Arkansas State is an underdog of 12 and a half to 13 points with your total on this game 131 and a half to 132 and for Arkansas State, I did set them as an underdog of 13 points. So, seeing the 12 and a half, that is the maximum delay with Southern Miss, but I'm going to be willing to lay it. It's a Southern Miss team that they're ranking in the top 75 in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis, and for Southern Miss, they've done a great job with having versatile bigs in Felipe Haas along to Andre Pinkney. They combined for 28 and a half points, 14 rebounds. Haas shoots 40 and a half percent from three. Pinkney more on 36%. From the outside, and both of these guys give you right around a seal per game. That helps out Austin Crawley, who comes in from Ole Miss. Three assists, 2.2 seals, 17.5 points out of him for a Southern Miss team that they give you about nine seals per game. And it's a Southern Miss team that they don't play fast, they don't play slow, right around 185th in terms of possessions per game. And now they go up against an Arkansas State team that they have been playing all sorts of slow. As Arkansas State, among your 363 D1 teams, 341st in the country in terms of possessions per game, and yet 
even though they're the slower team, they are the team that, in terms of raw points allowed, they're actually giving up more than four points more because if you look at points allowed on a per-possession basis, Arkansas State right around 254th. Their good news is is that they're only allowing about a half a point more per 100 possessions on the road rather than at home. But despite the slow and grimy style, Arkansas State has allowed at least 74 points in each other last three games. The offense has been a little bit better, scoring 70-plus points in each other previous two games. But prior to that, Arkansas State was just completely stuck in the mud scoring 60 points or fewer in four of their previous five games. And it is an Arkansas State team that has not been getting a lot out of Malcolm Farrington recently. He's been banged up throughout the entirety of the season. Has returned for double figures in each of the last two games. Prior to that, his previous three games, he had put up a goose egg. Caleb Fields, 12 points, 5 assists. He only shoots about 27.5% from three, though. And it's a bunch in Arkansas State that they turn the ball over 12.5 times per game. They shoot about 67% at the free throw line. And you don't necessarily have a lot of guys that are contributing in the backcourt. Avery Feltz has been able to give you 8.5 points, right around 2.5 assists per game. You get 9 points per game out of Marquis Davis and Omar El-Sheikh. It's been solid down low. 11 points, 10 rebounds per game. He is the only guy on this team that gives you north of 5 rebounds per game. And for Southern Miss, you've got guys like Donovan Ivory, Mo Arnold that give you right around like 6, 5.5 points per game. Arnold has been able to chip in their 3.5 assists per game. A team where all these collective parts do a very solid job. I did set Southern Miss as a 13-point favorite. As a result, I am going to be willing to lay up to 12.5 with them. And somebody told 129. I do think that Arkansas State, after they had had a very, very rough run on offense, I think that they're going to be back to having a rough run on offense. I do think that Southern Miss going to be able to just completely maul on the defensive side of things. So, looking at the under, and I'm willing to lay up to 12.5 with Southern Miss. 777, 778 on the bang board. Rice, we give our Odelaine Tiffin. Go Owls. They play us to Charlotte. Charlotte is an underdog of one point with your total between 140.5 and 141.5. Talk about a tempo battle. You got yourself a Rice team that ranks in the top 30 in terms of total possessions per game and a Charlotte team that's in the bottom 20 in terms of possessions per game. Charlotte, they rank 93rd in the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. Rice, 255th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. And you got a Rice team that does a pretty solid job of being able to shoot it from three-point range. You've got to love what you've been able to get out of Quincy all very along Travis Evey, a pair of guys that have been able to average a combined 35.5 points, 5.5 assists, Two and a half seals per game. Evie shoots 39% from three. Oh, very 36% from distance. And then you Max Fiedler. He stands right around 6'10, 6'11. Good versatility. 11 points, 8 and a half rebounds, 5.3 assists per game. Problem is, he's going up against another big man that is also very versatile. And Ali Khalifa, 6'11 combo player, 3.2 assists, 11 points, 7.2 rebounds. And unlike Fiedler, he's able to shoot a couple threes. Shoots right around 31% from distance. So. Not like he's super prolific or anything like that, but some plus rebounds each of the last five games is a Charlotte team that I do like what they're able to get out of Bryce Williams in the backcourt. He's been able to give them 12.5 points, shooting 44.5% from three, and Charlotte as a whole, they do shoot 38% from three-point range, and they've got a trio of guys, Igor Milicic, along Jackson, third Gill, Lucille Patterson, they all give between 8.1 and 8.9 points per game. Milicic is able to give you 5.5 rebounds per game. Patterson, more around 3.5 assists per game. And they all shoot between 36 and 41% from three-point range. So you've got some very rock-solid balance with the Charlotte team. And typically I've found through just watching these games, it's a little bit easier to slow down the fast team rather than vice versa. Now, I will say for Rice, they sort of turned that 
sort of theory on its head the last time they played against North Texas. They went on the road. They got a nice 72-60 win, so you give them credit where credit is due on that one, but this is also a Charlotte team that they've done a good job of just being able to get teams completely slowed down, be able to completely disarm them. They were able to play relatively solid when they played against UAB a little bit earlier this season, and I do think that the way that Charlotte does a good job of being able to control the ball is going to win out against a race team that can be a little bit top-heavy. They're going to need to have Cam Sheffield along with LM who's Sonovich, who will be able to combine for about 14 points per game to really step up in this spot. I don't know if they're going to be able to. I'd like Charlotte on the road to be able to win this game outright. A Charlotte team that has allowed 62 points or fewer in three of their last four games to be able to slow this game down, get it done. And it is a right team that, to their credit, they did show that they were able to play a little bit of a slower game against North Texas. So set my total 135 and a half, diving under. And set Charlotte as a one and a half point favorite. So taking Charlotte outright as an underdog in this one point line. So 79, 780 on the betting board, South Alabama. Plays us to Old Dominion. Old Dominion is between a two and a half and a three point underdog. In your total, it is 132 to 133. And with Old Dominion, I did set them as an underdog of four points. I'm going to be willing to lay with South Alabama, and the big reason why I'm on South Alabama in this game is that they're going to be able to control things down low. You've got a South Alabama squad that is headlined by Kevin Samuel, who's not a good free throw shooter. He shoots like 30% at the free throw line, but that said, he's not out there for his free throw shooting. 11.5 points, 9.5 boards, 2.6 blocks for contest, and to be exact, it's 25.5% that he's shooting at the free throw line, but Isaiah Moore is able to give you more. As he's been able to chip in their 18 points, comes in from 91 Franklin Pierce, give you 4.9 assists, 1.3 steals per game. It's a South Alabama team that they get no three-point shooting out of him, and as a whole, they only shoot about 32.5% from distance, but Greg Parham, Tyrell Jones, they combine to give you 19 points per contest. They combine for also right around two steals, four assists, and Parham is able to shoot 35% from three, so good balance with the team. Meanwhile, you've got an old Dominion bunch with Sean C. Jenkins, along Tyreek Scott Grayson, combining for 28.5 points, about 2.2 steals per contest. They combine for eight boards, six assists, so I do like the way that they're able to get things going, but they don't have as much down low. Makai Long, good versatility, nine points, seven half boards, two and a half per game, shoots 39% from three-point range, but overall, I mentioned how bad South Alabama has in terms of their free-throw shooting with Kevin Samuel. This old Dominion team actually shoots worse at the free-throw line. They shoot 65.5% as a collective at the charity stripe for Old Dominion. They rank 154th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, but they give up right around 11.3 points more per one earned possessions on the road rather than at home. And for South Alabama, they can be a little bit or miss themselves, but they're clocking in right around 180th in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, giving up 9.6 points per one earned possessions, fewer at home than on the road. And the big thing for the Old Dominion team is that Ben Stanley, who is so good to begin the season, six points or fewer in three out of the last five games, has not been able to provide a lot of lot down low. As a result, it's an Old Dominion team that has now lost three out of their last four games, and we've seen their defense decline quite a bit as well, giving up north of 70 points in now three out of their last five games, and as a matter of fact, you know, the data back four out of their last six contests. So, been very troubling to see this from Old Dominion. I do think that this is still going to be more of a grimy slog of a game, so I did set my total at a 128. I'm going to be diving under because I think that South Alabama is going to be able to win from within, and I did set the South Alabama as a four-point favorite, so one late two and after three with them. 781, 782 on the betting board. St. Thomas is going to be playing us to South Dakota State. South Dakota to state is a pick em to a one point favorite, and your total is between 141.5 and 143. And I did make St. Thomas the two point favorite. I'm going to be willing to take them as a pick em slash outright on the money line as an underdog for St. Thomas. 
It's a really efficient offense and a really inefficient defense. They rank in the bottom 40 in terms of total possessions per game and in terms of points a lot on a per possession basis. It's a dummy team that is 308th in the country, but home court advantage has been massive for them as this team is giving up over 17 points fewer per runner in possessions at home rather than on the road. And they go up against the South Dakota State team that honestly has been a little bit better on defense this year. And in a road slash court environment, they're giving up 2.7 points fewer per runner in possessions rather than on the road, clocking in right around about 168th in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. It's the South Dakota State team, though, that last season they were number one in the country in three-point shooting percent. They're shooting 32.7% this season. Zeke Mayo had to do it all. 16.6 half boards, 3.3 assists per game. You don't have anyone else that gives you more than 5.2 rebounds per game. Nobody else that gives you more than 2.5 assists per game, and nobody that gives you more than 10.5 points per game. It's a very top-heavy team. You've got Matt Detlinger, Charlie Easley, William Kyle III. That all give you between 9.3 and 10.5 points per game. Kyle and Detlinger combined for about 9.5 rebounds per game. And Easley does shoot 44% from three, but for St. Thomas, gotta love their top-flight talent. As you've got Andrew Rode and Parker Jorklund, they combine for 29 points, about 8.5 rebounds. Rode has been able to give you 3.5 assists. One and a half seals per game for a Tommy team that shoots 36 percent from three. Both of these teams shoot it really well at the free throw line. St. Thomas, 78.3% the charity stripe. Meanwhile, South Dakota State, a little bit over 80% at the free throw line. And it's a Tommy team that has been on the decrease line a little bit more recently. They've been held below 70 points each other last three games. So that's a little bit of an issue. But that said, I do think that they're going to be able to rise up as those three games were on the road. It's a St. Thomas team that at home they have been very dominant within the conference. They have been able to win all their home games within the conference on the road. A little bit of a different story. And for South Dakota State, they are riding a four-game win streak, allowing 65 points or fewer now in each out of their last five games. So they've been able to do a really good job on that front. And as a matter of fact, last time they allowed more than 65 points was a game that they played against Oral Roberts on December 19th. First time around, it was St. Thomas who lost on the road to South Dakota State by a count of 71 to 64 in that game. Both of these teams shot below 30% from three-point range. St. Thomas, they had 15 turnovers to South Dakota State's nine. I do think that St. Thomas is going to be able to clean that up a little bit more, and I do think that both of these teams get a few more threes to be able to drop in this affair. So it is a circumstance where I did set my total at a 140. Seeing what we've got right now with regards to a 141.5 to a 143, I'm going to be looking under, but for St. Thomas, made them a two-point favorite, so taking them as a pick-up slash a money line underdog. 783, 784 on the betting board. Oh my, is going to be in the road to face off against UMKC. UMKC is a 6.5 to a 7.5 point favorite, and your total it is 134.5 to 135. And with UMKC, I did set them as a favorite of 8 points, so I'm going to be willing to lay the number. It's a UMKC team that has had their ups and downs this season, but in terms of points a lot on a per possession basis, a top three team in the Summit League, and you've got two really good players in Jamari Allen along three, Quandis Mitchell headlining things, a combined nine rebounds, and you get right around 35.8 points out of these two gentlemen. Allen, your top three-point shooter at 37.5% from the outside, and chips in their 2.1 seals per game. They have been dealing with an injury to Allen David Mbeka Jr. He's been able to give the team right around nine points, eight rebounds per contest. He's missed each out of the last, I believe now, four games, so that means that they're going to be looking to your number two low post player and Jeff Ngandu, who has been able to give you 6.2 boards, block and half, five and a half points per game, but you take a look at what he's been able to do without Mbeka Jr., and he's actually been really good as he's given the team a combined 44 rebounds in the four games that they have been without him, so they have not experienced too much of a drop-off 
with that regard. Meanwhile, you've got an Omaha team that they are once again in the bottom 40 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. They've been playing a little bit more slowly this year, and neither of these teams are necessarily playing at a breakneck pace. For Nebraska, Omaha, after they were right around 100th in the country in terms of possessions per game last year, they're down to about 218th this season. And it's a UMKC team that they're clocking in at 276. But that said, you take a look at Frankie Fiddler along with Marquis Sutton. They've been able to combine for 24 points, 11 rebounds. Fiddler is able to give you three assists, 1.2 steals per game. But they both shoot below 28% from three-point range. Omaha does shoot 78.5% the free line, 34.5% from three. But they also turn the ball over 13.7 times per game. You've got Luke Jungers, who's been able to give you about 8 points. Shoots 44% from 3-point range. But Roma, with that tough flight scoring, it's left a lot to be desired. Surrendering at least 75 points in 6 out of their last 7 games. One of those games being against UMKC, where they gave up 75 points on their own floor, with UMKC only taking 46 field goal attempts. And it's not like they necessarily marched the free throw line too much in that game either. So... It's an all my team that is just all out of sorts with their defense at this point. UMKC, I don't think that they're going to be able to go quite 8 of 19 from three-point range like they did the first time around. This is a team that they are one of your lesser three-point shooting teams in the country, but I do think that they're going to be able to take it to Omaha once again. They have proven that they're able to score on them, and they have proven that they're able to hold them below 60. I do think that things are going to be a little bit more ironed out with this shooting, so I did set my total at 130, diving under, but with the UMKC willing to lay up to 7.5 with them. 785-786 on the betting board, or Roberts plays us to Denver. Denver's between a 16.5 to a 17.5 point underdog, with a total between 157 and 157.5 have an Oral Roberts team that ranks in the top 30 nationally in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis, and I think that they're going to be able to run up this score. Set my total at 161.5 going over with Oral Roberts. I want to lay up to 17 with them. I set them as a 17.5 point favorite because you've got Max A. Smith, who is officially on one as he has been able to give this team 22-plus points in four of the last five games, shooting 38% from three-part range. And you just take a look at this hole of Oral Roberts as all but one of their scores that give you at least four and a half points per game, and that is seven guys in total. Shoot at least 35.7% for three, and the lone exception is seven foot five Connor Vanover, and gives you 13.6 half boards. And keep in mind, at seven foot five, he shoots 33.7% from three and 85.5% at the free throw line. They're going up against a Denver bunch, and now they've been able to get one of their top scorers and Tevin Smith firing all cylinders once again. He's averaging right around 15 points per contest prior to getting banged up. So I've been able to give the team double figures in four of the last five games after he had a rough run of things rehabbing from injury. Tommy Bruner, he's been able to give the team 16 points, four and a half assists, does shoot 37.5% for three. And for Denver, they are a team that they shoot 35% from three-point range with. Oral Roberts, the defense has been a little bit better recently, but still leaving a tad bit of something to be desired in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, 167th. Denver, they leave a lot to be desired on defense, 3rd in the country with this regard, even though you do have Tyree Corbett down low giving you 10 points, 8 half boards, and he does chip in there just below a block per contest as well. Been able to get 5.5 boards right around 11 points per game out of Toku Tamino, but that said, this is an Oral Roberts team that they have not been slowed down by darn near anyone. They have scored 75-plus points in each other last five games. And for the Sora Roberts team, they have scored at least 74 points in now every one of their games since the beginning of the month of December. And for that matter, the only team that has been able to hold them below 74 points since the opening week of the season was Houston. So... Yeah, you know what to expect out of the Sora Roberts team. And this is a Denver team that have given up at least 71 points 
and now six out of their last seven games, including giving up 90 in a pair of these last five games as well. It has not been so savory for them. As a result, it's up my total of 161.5. I'm going to be looking at the over. First time these two teams played, Oral Roberts 180-62 on the road. I do think that Denver going to shoot better than the 39.3% that they did the first time around, but also Oral Roberts in that 18-point win went 9 of 32 from three-point range as well. So you got to expect that to increase. And so as a result, made by total 161.5, looking at the over, and with Oral Roberts, made them a 17.5-point favorite, one to lay up to 17 with them. 787-788 on the betting board. You've got Charleston State playing OC Utah Tech. Utah Tech is an underdog of 3.5 points with your total between 140.5 and 141.5. And with Utah Tech, I did set them as an underdog of 5 points. So a circumstance where I'm going to be willing to lay the 3.5 with Charleston State. Charleston State does a good job being able to generate a little bit over 10 seals per game. And with this Utah Tech team, they've been having a rough go of it on defense. On offense, honestly, it's not been too bad. With Utah Tech, their team that ranks right around 250th in terms of total possessions per game. Charleston, more around 200th. They shoot 37.5% from three Utah Tech does with a pair of guys in Cameron Gooden along with Isaiah Pope. They combined for 29 points, about 6.5 assists, 2.5 steals per game. But also, Utah Tech turned the ball over 15 times per game, and that is a massive kryptonite against the Charlton State defense that they are very much all or nothing. If they don't generate a seal, typically they come up snake eyes on that defensive possession as Charlton 210th in the country in terms of points a lot on a per possession basis. And for Utah Tech, leaving quite a bit of something to be desired on defense as well. 288th in the country in terms of points a lot on a per possession basis, giving up right around 12.7 points more per one or possessions on the road rather than at home. And for Utah Tech, you do have a guy, Tanner Christensen, who is able to give you 10 points, seven and a half boards, ships in their block per contest. So he's been solid with that regard. But for Tarleton State, they have been all sorts of banged up, but now they've got their top scorer, Freddie X, back from fold. He's been back last two games. Last game was not necessarily too terrific for him against Cal Baptist. Game before that against Seattle, played 39 minutes, 14 points, six boards, three assists, with that being a little bit of a back-to-back ordeal against Seattle, playing right around 48 hours later. I do think that that's a big reason why he struggled in that second game. I think that he should be better in this one. But then you've got Shakir Daniels along with Shamar Bokes, who have been able to combine for about 17 points, three and a half boards apiece, and you've got a Tarleton State team as a whole. They shoot about 33% from three. They only turn the ball over 12 times per game, even with all the moving pieces with this defense. I do think that Tarleton is going to be able to do a solid job of be able to bear down on defense. They have given up fewer than 70 points in now three out of their last four games. And you got Utah Tech team that they have been all over the place with their defense, giving up at least 72 points in each other their last five games. So I do think that Tarleton State is going to be able to get some points up on the board, but I do think that they're going to force Utah Tech into a lot of dead possessions. And with Utah Tech turning the ball over 15 times per game, I don't think that they're going to get the up-tempo and high-scoring style that they are looking for in this game. So I'm 139 diving under with Tarleton State. Set them as a five-point favorite, so I'm going to be willing to lay the number 789, 790 on the betting board. You've got Grand Canyon, and they are going to be on the road playing against Abilene Christian. Abilene Christian is an underdog of four points, and your total on this game is there between 139 and 140, and for Grand Canyon. Very interesting to gauge this team because with Grand Canyon, this is typically a team that they hang their out on defense. They're looking to play a relatively slow, grimy style, but 
We have seen their defense start to fail them a little bit, and they've honestly been able to do a little bit of a better job on offense, but I do still set my total at a 135.5. I'm diving under. Been very befuddling to watch this Grand Canyon team give up at least 70 points in now four out of their last five games. Last time they played against a high steals team like Abilene Christian, they lost to Stone Cold Steven F. Austin by a count of 73-68 to in that game. Grand Canyon got turned over 16 times overall for the season. Grand Canyon has done a solid job of taking care of the ball. 12 turnovers per game. They're a team that ranks in the bottom one in terms of total possessions per game, and they've really gotten Rayshon Harrison firing all cylinders. At least 16 points in nine straight games after a relatively rough start to the season for Grand Canyon. They shoot as a whole 34.5% from three-point range. They've been without Ivan Odriogo down low. That has hurt their defense, but still have Gabe McLaughlin giving you 11.5 points, 8.5 rebounds per game. And flip side for Abilene Christian, this team does rank outside the top 200 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, but it's not like Abilene Christian necessarily plays super-duper up-tempo. They are a heat-seeking missile in that they are looking to generate a whole bunch of turnovers, but they're only right around 100th in terms of possessions per game. They're another one of these teams in which they just have a whole bunch of guys that really contribute to the greater good as you've got seven different guys that give you at least 6.9 points per game with nobody giving you more than 11.5 points per game as your top scorer for the team is Emmanuel Allen with right around 11.5 points. Shoots about 38.5% from three, and Abilene Christian does shoot 35% from distance out of their top four scores. Three of them shoot at least 38.5% from three-point range. You've only got one guy, though, for Abilene Christian that gives you north of 3.5 rebounds per game. That would be Tobias Cameron, who gives you 10.5 points, 4.5 rebounds, 2.6 assists, 1.2 seals per game. So it's been able to do a solid job with that regard. And I take a look at this Abilene Christian team, and the defense, it has been leaving quite a bit of something to be desired recently. They've given up at least 72 points in now four other five games since the turn of the new year prior to this. They were playing some relatively solid defense, so it's interesting to gauge this Abilene Christian team. I do think that their offense it is starting to click a little bit more. 72 points for fear in three of the last five games, but all in all, they've been able to bury some threes. I do, though, think that Grand Canyon going to try to get back to their roots. This has not been Grand Canyon basketball that we have been seeing in recent weeks. I think that they're going to be looking to slow this game down. I think that they're going to be looking to Rayshon Harrison to create offense. I think that he's going to be able to do so, but I do think that Abilene Christian, with their outside shooting, going to be able to hold in this game. I did set this line at 2.5, so we'll take the 4 with Abilene Christian, and I did set my total at 135.5, so diving under and taking the points with Abilene Christian, 791-792 on the betting board. Southeast Missouri State plays us with Tennessee State. Tennessee State is an underdog of 5.5 to 6.5 points. Your total on this game, it is between 152.5 and 154, and with Tennessee State I did set them as an underdog of six points. So here at five and a half, I'm going to be willing to lay it with Southeast Missouri State. Southeast Missouri State has done a very solid job having the top rebounder really in the conference as it's been a very good year for Kobe Clark. Eight and a half rebounds, only about six and a half points per game, but 1.2 blocks, one and a half steals per game. He has been very dominant down low for Southeast Missouri State. And with Southeast Missouri State, you've got a backcourt duo that I really like. Phil Russell and Chris Harris, they've been able to combine for 31.5 points, about 7 assists, and they both shoot between 34 and 36% from three-point range. They've really needed to step up with Israel Barnes, deal with an injury, but Barnes, now back to full, who's been able to give the team 10.5 points, only shooting about 27% from three-point range, but does a good job of being able to slice and dice to the rim, and when it comes to Tennessee State, they very much do rely upon Junior Clay 
to be able to generate their offense, who has been terrific this season since coming over from Tennessee Tech. Nearly 19 points, 4 boards, 4.6 assists, shoots 35.5% from 3-point range. Yeah, 3-plus turnovers in each of the team's last 5 games. That is a bit of an issue, as Tennessee State as a whole. They do only turn the ball over 12.5 times per game. I just attribute it to Junior Clay having the ball in his hands so much, so he's a victim of taking on a lot of the turnovers. But you do also have Marcus Fitzgerald, Long Christian Brown. They've been able to combine for about 20.5 points per game, and with Fitzgerald, he's done a good job pulling in their 3.5 rebounds. Both of these guys give you nearly a seal per game. Your main issue with Tennessee State, you don't have a single guy that gives you north of 5.6 rebounds per game with Adong Mukwai, who has been able to do that. He's a 6'9 player who's been able to give you right around 10 points along with those 5.6 rebounds per game. And both of these teams leaving a lot to be desired on defense. Both of these teams do rank in the top 50 in terms of total possessions per game. But with Tennessee State, in terms of points on a per possession basis, they're clocking in right around 242nd. And for Southeast Missouri State, they've been right around 224. So I do think that you're going to get another high-scoring game between these two teams. I did set my total at a 154. So seeing this number between 152.5 and 154 here, anything below 154, it is going to be a take for me on the over. And I did set Southeast Missouri State as a six-point favorite. I do think that they are going to be able to control this game. And in a little bit of a late game following situation, it's a Southeast Missouri State team that they shoot about 68.5% at the free line. But your top two scorers in Harrison Russell both shoot above 76.5% at the charity stripe. So looking at the over, and we'll lay up to 5.5 with Southeast Missouri State, 793, 794 on the betting board. It is Seattle on the road facing off against Sam Houston State. Sam Houston State is a favorite of six points, and your total is between 135.5 and 137. Sam Houston State still being a little bit slept upon. I did set the them as a favorite more around nine points. So I'm going to be willing to lay this number with Sam Houston State. They've done an incredible job of being able to lock down on defense, a top 40 team in terms of points a lot on a per possession basis with both of their games coming in a true road environment as it's a Sam Houston State team that's allowed north of 72 points just four times, I believe, this year. And one of those games in which they allowed 72 points and went to overtime. So They've done a great job of just pounding teams, and you've only got one guy on the Sam Houston State team that gives you north of four rebounds per game, but it's just a collective that is able to do it. You've got seven different guys to give you at least 3.2 rebounds per game. Your top rebounder is Javion May, who's able to give you right around 4.9 rebounds. Let's ship in there a seal and a half per game for a Sam Houston State team that, despite the fact that they are outside the top 200 in terms of total possessions per game, they generate 9.7 seals per game. They shoot 39.5% from three with Qua Grant, former D2 All-American, really headlining things, 14 points, four assists, shooting 39.5% from three. And then you've got a pair of guys in Deion Powers along with Cameron Huffner who have been able to combine for about 21 points. Both of them shoot above 41% from three-point range. And then on the flip side, you got Cam Tyson. So that will give you 20 points, four and a half boards. Shoots 35% from three-point range. It's a Seattle team that they rank right around 100th in terms of total possessions per game. And Seattle last year was a top 75 team in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. They've taken a little bit of a fall off this year, but still ranking right around 70th. Big thing for them, though, is that when they hit the road, not as effective. 14.3 points more given up per 100 possessions in a road slash neutral corner environment than when they are at home. And other than the Tyson, you haven't been able to get a lot 
out of anyone else. Riley Grigsby, coupled with Alex Shoemaker, they've been able to combine for about 25 points, 9.5 boards, 5 assists, but Grigsby shoots 32% from 3 and sub 60% at the free throw line as well. Down low, Mecca Odeni has been able to give 5.5 rebounds per game, but it is a Seattle team that they've been able to do a good job on defense, giving up 66 points or fewer in 4 out of the last 5 games in Seattle. I mean, to their credit, they are currently riding an 8-game win streak in which, in this current win streak, they have allowed north of 70 points, I believe, just once, and that's when they allowed 80 points to Utah Valley. Meanwhile, you've got a same Houston State team that has been able to do it on defense all season long. I think that you get yourself a low-scoring game as a result, despite the fact that Seattle, a little bit more up-tempo, set my number at a 131 in terms of the total, but I think that Seattle doing for a rude awakening against the same Houston State team that has been clobbering teams all season long. Set same Houston State as a 9-point favorite, one to lay the number and going with the under. 795-796 on the betting board. Southern Indiana is going to be playing us to Eastern Illinois. Eastern Illinois is an underdog of 11 to 11.5 points with your total between 145 and 145.5. And, and for Eastern Illinois, I did set them as a 11-point underdog here at 11.5. It is my buy point on them, the Eastern Illinois. Certainly has not been able to piggyback off of that Iowa win with too much pass that, but you do have Keenan Hodges with a nice primary score. 14.5 points, right around 3 assists for a Eastern Illinois team that shoots 62.5% at the free throw line, 29.9% from 3-point range. Eastern Illinois has actually really cranked up their tempo this season in terms of total possessions per game. They're right around 133rd in the country. And then you've got a Southern Indiana team that they're playing at a pretty breakneck pace, 32nd in the country, and you do have Jacob Polakovic, who's down low, has been able to give this team 11.9% points, 12.2 rebounds per game, which that ranks fourth in all of college basketball, and he's been able to chip in there at least 12 rebounds, and now each of the last six games coming off of a 23-rebound performance against Southern Illinois Edwardsville, so that has been absolutely incredible to take a look at him for Southern Indiana. Isaiah Swope along Trevor Lakes are both shooting above 44.5% from three-point range, combining for 27.5 points. Swope is able to chip in their 3.5 assists per contest. Jelani Simmons, 13.5 points, 1.8 seals. Shoots 35.5% from three-point range. And for Eastern Illinois, I do think that they hang in there a little bit more just because with Southern Indiana, they do play at a breakneck pace and they do shoot it well from three-point range, but they also turn the ball over 15 times per game. And they do rank 240th in the country. Turns points a lot on a per-possession basis, giving up 15 more points per one possessions when they're on the road rather than at home. So clearly a team that's playing significantly better when they are on their home floor. Eastern Illinois more on 250th in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis and actually giving up fewer points per possession when they are on the road rather than at home. So I do think that Eastern Illinois, are they going to lose this game and probably lose this game comfortably? Yes, but with that said, now at 11.5, we've gone up a little bit too high. We got Yakima Rose, who's able to give you 9.5 points, 4.5 boards, 3.5 assists per game. And for Eastern Illinois, I do think that they're going to be able to generate a few swipes. They've been able to get 9 seals per contest. That's going to be a good elixir to Southern Indiana's 3-point shooting. So willing to take 11.5 with Eastern Illinois. Did set my total at a 143. I think that Eastern Illinois going to have a little bit of a tough time putting the ball in the basket. They have been able to get to at least 70 points in each of their last three games, but that said, this is a Southern Indiana team that now has given up 70 points or fewer in four of their last five games and 72 points or fewer in each of their last five. So going to be willing to dive in on the under and willing to take north of 11 with Eastern Illinois, 797, 798 on the betting board. Southern Utah going to be playing us to Utah Valley. Utah Valley is finding themselves at a pick'em game with your total between 151.5 and 153.5 with... 
Utah Valley. I did set them as a favorite in this spot, so I'm going to be one to take them outright on the money line, set them as a one and a half point favorite with Utah Valley. I just think that they're going to be able to win the battle down low with Isus Bendogo, who comes in from Akron, a true seven footer who's done amazing work with 10 and a half rebounds, nearly at 2.8 blocks per contest. Also, shoots 36.5% for three point range to go with 11 points per game, has given the team 10 plus rebounds in far the last five games. And Southern Utah has a nice collective with Mason Fawcett, Long Harrison Butler combined for 12.8 rebounds. They give you 11.5 points per game apiece with Fawcett shooting 37% from three-point range. And Southern Utah plays at a breakneck pace. They're in the top 10 nationally in terms of total possessions per game. Utah Valley in the top 75 in terms of total possessions per game as well. But Justin Armand, Trey Woodbury, they combine for 27 points per contest. Woodbury shoots 40% from three-point range. They combine to be able to give you about eight assists per game as well. And it's a Utah Valley team that they do turn the ball for 13 times per game. That's a little bit rough, but I do feel like you've got some really nice top-end pieces with them. So the Utah probably has a little bit more in terms of just depth. Cam Healy is able to shoot about 35.5% from three-point range. Tavion Jones, 19.5 points, four boards, seal and half per contest while shooting 38.5% from three. That has been rock solid. And for the Southern Utah team, all over the place in terms of their defense is the best way to put it. In their last five games, they've given up 72, 74, 58, 76, and 81 points. But I do think that this is going to be a game that is going to be featuring quite a bit of scoring. But Utah Valley, you take a look at what they've been able to do in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. And they've been one of your better mid-major defenses in the country, ranking 64th in the country. And I do think that that is going to reign supreme in this spot. Semi-total at 151.5. Diving under, and here on this pick'em line, I'm going to be willing to ride with Utah Valley. Set them as one and a half point favorite. 799, 800 on the betting board. UAB is going to be playing us to Louisiana Tech. LA Tech is a nine to a nine and a half point underdog. And your total on this game, it is anywhere between 151 and a half and 152 and a half. With UAB, could only set them as a six and a half point favorite. Last time these two teams played, Jelly Walker was out of the fold, and well, last check, he was still in a walking boot. I'd be surprised if Jelly Walker does play. I'm willing to update my number. If he does play, I would probably shade it up more like two, maybe two and a half points just because I do think that if he plays, he is not going to be 100%. And we saw them just be completely stuck without him in their game against North Texas. They scored just 52 points. Now, part of that is because North Texas is just absolutely dominant in terms of their defense. But it's a UAB team that without him, they still play at a rather breakneck pace. They're still in the top 50 in terms of total possessions per game with Eric Gaines being that main headline scorer without Mr. Walker. Walker does chip in there. 24 points off 40% three-point shooting, by the way, but with Gaines, he gives you 4.6 assists, 1.8 seals, shoots 37.5% from three-point range. The Brewer brothers and Ladarius and Ty Brewer, they've been able to combine for about 14.5 points per contest. Down low, you've got KJ Buffin giving you 7 rebounds per game. Trey Jemison, 9 points, 8.5 rebounds per game for a UAB team that overall for the season with slash without Jelly Walker. So you take into account all games. They rank in the top 20 nationally in terms of total possessions per game. They're going up against the Louisiana Tech team that they're still a top 125 team in terms of total possessions per game, but they have slowed down quite a bit recently. They do rank 189th of the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, giving up 10.1 points more per 100 possessions on the road rather than at home. But for Louisiana Tech, they really don't have anything down low, and that's a issue in and of itself because UAB, not only do they have the better backcourt, but they've got more size down low. It's a Louisiana Tech team that got a pair of guys in Isaiah Crawford along with Kenny Hunter. They combine for nine rebounds per game. Hunter only gives you right around six points per contest. Crawford shoots.
241 for 3, 12.5 points per game. And then we got Kobe Williams, who's been really the top scorer for the team. Four assists, 18.5 points, 2.2 seals. Shoots 31.5 for 7 for 3. And Louisiana Tech may degenerate about 8 seals per game, but I signed these two teams face off. UAB got an 81 to 74 road win. That is the only win that UAB has gotten in their last five games. So as in that contest, UAB won because they won 26 of 35 at the free throw line. I do think that things are going to be more tame in terms of the free throws. So I did, as a result, make my total more around a 148.5. It's a situation where I'm going to be diving under if the UAB, they've had their struggles recently. I'm going to be setting this line at a 6.5, so I'm going to be willing to take the points with Louisiana Tech. 801-802 on the betting board. It is Lindenwood. They hit the road to face off against UT Martin. UT Martin is a 10-point favorite. Total on this game is between 145 and 145.5. And, and with Lindenwood... I did set them as an underdog of 12 points. I'm going to be willing to lay the number with UT Martin. With UT Martin certainly leaving something to be desired on defense, but that said, it's a Lindenwood team that's been all over the place. They really don't have a lot of rebounding, and with this UT Martin team, even though they don't necessarily have the most supreme of supreme guys down low, they should have a little bit of a advantage down low. KK Curry has been able to give you about six half rebounds per game, and then they've had KJ Simon do a good job being able to dole out the ball along with Parker Stewart. Parker Stewart, one of the better mid-major scorers they're going to find out there. He's been able to shoot from three-point range in the high 30s, being able to chip in there, 16.8 points per contest. Simon, he gives you 15.2 points. They combine for about four and a half assists, 3.4 seals as a collective with Stewart shooting 37% from the outside. And UT Martin only turned the ball over right around 12 times per game, despite being a top 75 team in terms of possessions per game. It's a Lindenwood team that they rank in the top 100 in terms of possessions as well. Lindenwood, they are 278th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis with having Chris Childs be your main scorer, 13 points, four boards, shoots about 34% from three. And Lindenwood has all they shoot 34.5% from three, 13.5 turnovers per game. But you've got Camberell, who's the only guy in this team that gives you north of 5.2 rebounds per game. He's been able to chip in there 11.5 points, 5.6 boards. Does give you a seal and upper contest as well, but you don't really get a lot of defensive pressure from this Lindenwood team. And just take a look at this Lindenwood offense. It has been going straight down the tubes recently. They have scored 71 points or fear. And now every single one of their games since the turn of the new year. And for Lindenwood, they have been held below 70 points in now 9 out of their last 10 games. And the game before that that was able to snap that streak was against a non-D1 team in like Knox College. So Lindenwood has had a tough time all season long being able to put the ball in the basket. But this UT Martin team is on a nice burner run. They've scored at least 77 points in four of their last five games. And for that matter, all but one of their games since the turn of the new year. It's a UT Martin team that I think is going to be able to rack up the points in this spot. Really do a lot of damage on this total by themselves. So as a result, did set my total at a 148 going over with the UT Martin. Set them as a 12-point favorite, so willing to lay the time with them. 803-804 on the betting board. It is North Texas. They play OCET San Antonio. Meet me for the Roadrunners, who are a 19 and a half to a 20 point underdog. And your total on this game is anywhere between 123 and a half and 124 and a half. 20 is my buy point on UTSA. I set them as a 19 and a half point underdog. At some point, the number does get a little bit too lofty that you reach a point of no return because North Texas, they are dead last in the country in terms of possessions per game in order to be able to cover this sort of a number. And, I mean, I will say it. If you take a look in terms of possessions per game, North Texas laying 20 is the equivalence of an average team laying more like 25-plus. So, yeah, that makes it just all the more difficult 
for them to be able to cover because they just need to be so much more efficient than other teams when covering this sort of a number. You do have Ty Perry. We've seen him on the silver screen. Now we see him on the hardwood. Shooting 46% from three, 17 points, 2.3 assists per contest. Kion Sperry, Abdul Usman, both of these guys give between 11 and 12 points per contest with Usman being your top rebounder. 6.2 rebounds per game. You've got Aaron Scott along with Jada Martinez combined for 9.5 rebounds. A little bit over 11 points per game. And for North Texas, they've done a great job all year long with their defense. Not a team that gets a lot of scoring outside of our good friend, Mr. Tyler Perry. But take a look in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis. And it is a North Texas team that they are currently ranking among your teams 32nd in the country. Meanwhile, for UTSA, you've had the buggy man, John Bugs. Do a nice job chipping in their 10.5 points, shooting 37.5% from three-parring Jacob Germany. Missed a little bit of time a bit earlier in the season due to injury, but he is all back. He has combined for 24 rebounds and 32 points. Lions two contest. It is a UTSA team that has just stopped better as well. Being able to go off four assists, 13.5 points per game, the 14 turnovers. That's a little bit unsightly. North Texas has been relatively solid at being able to generate those turnovers. And take a look at this. UTSA team, and the defense is leaving a lot to be desired. They currently rank 329th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. And last time these two teams met, North Texas, they went on the road. They completely just curb-stomped UTSA. 78-54 to was the final in that one. And for UTSA, they lost their turnover battle 13-9. They lost the rebound battle by 10. And Jacob Germany, he had a double-double in that game. Really, nobody else did anything else. I do think that UTSA could have learned from that. And that was honestly one of the more up-tempo games that we have seen from this bunch all season long in North Texas. I do think that things are going to be throttled down just a little bit more in this spot. I did set my total at a 121.5. I think that North Texas is going to get their slow, grimy style. So I'm looking at the under in this ordeal. And with North Texas, set them as a 19.5 point dog. So 20 or more are going to be taking the points with the Roadrunners. 805-806 on the bank board. Eastern Washington going to be playing upside. Idaho State. Idaho State is between a 9.5 to a 10-point underdog. In your total on this game, it is between 142 and 143. And with Idaho State, I did set them as a 10-point underdog. So 9.5, I'm seeing a straight 9 popping up as well. That's pretty much the max. I'm willing to lay with Eastern Washington. Eastern Washington has done a good job of being able to get their offense back online after a rough start to the season, especially with Steele Venters, who has been the main scorer with 15.3 points. He's able to shoot from three-point range, 35.5% from the outside, and 95% from the free throw line. As a whole, Eastern Washington shooting about 75.5% at the charity stripe. It is an Eastern Washington team that they have been marred a little bit by turnovers, a little bit over 14 per game, and it is not as if Eastern Washington is a super-duper fast team. They play at a pace that is right around 160th in all of college basketball. They're going up against a mid-tempo Idaho State team that has not been too bad on defense, but they're leaving a lot to be desired on offense, and they aren't doing a whole heck of a lot down low. Idaho State are in 35th in the country in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis with Braden Parker leading the way in terms of the glass as he's been able to get the team 4.4 rebounds per game. We've also gotten about 10.5 points, 4.4 boards out of Jared Rodriguez. But Rodriguez, he finds himself out of the fold. So that means Idaho State, they're having to rely a lot on Miguel Tomley along with Brock McKenzie to be able to generate offense. A combined 25 points out of these two gentlemen. And McKenzie has been able to shoot 40% from three for an Idaho State team that, as a whole, they shoot 33.5% from the outside, but they only shoot about 43% overall from the floor. It's an Idaho State team that may have been held to 68 points or fewer in every single game this calendar year. So 
has been a little bit unsightly for them, and it is an Idaho State team that, with them not having a lot on the glass, having to go up against an Eastern Washington team with good versatility, Angelo Algieri, 12 points, 5.5 boards, 3.5 assists per contest. You've been able to get right around 6.5 rebounds per game out of Casey Jones, who's been able to do a nice job down low. I do think that Eastern Washington is going to be able to take it to this Idaho State team. I set my number at 10, so one to lay 9 to 9.5 in this ordeal, and I did set my total at 142. I think that Idaho State can have a tough time being able to do their part with this total. So you're at 143, diving under, and willing to lay the number with Eastern Washington, 807 808 on the betting board. USC is going to be playing us UCLA, UCLA between a 4.5 and a 5.5 point favorite. And your total it is between 130 and 131.5. We have seen a stark move on this total from the last time these two teams played, and it's not like these two teams played like an eon ago or anything like that. Last matchup between these two teams was on January 5th. That was a 60-58 to win for UCLA, a game in which UCLA got up by double figures and they were up in the first half, 44 to 26. USC was able to storm back. That was a total that closed more around 137 after 138. So we've seen a stark move there, and the big reason why UCLA has allowed 66 points or fewer in 16 straight games. But for UCLA, they're also a top 20 team in terms of points scored on a per possession basis. So one of the most efficient teams, both on offense and on defense in the country, as UCLA, they're expected to have back and fold star freshman Amari Bailey. He's been able to give you 9.5 points, 2.5 assists per game, and he teams up very well with Aimeakas along with Jalen Clark. They've been able to combine for 30 points, 14 rebounds, 2.7 seals out of Clark. Kaimiakas, 1.8 seals per game, and Clark does shoot 34% from three. Tiger Campbell does a good job of running an efficient offense, 4.6 assists, a 1.8 turnovers per game. But for UCLA, mid-tempo team with just 10 turnovers per game, USC, they're a mid-tempo team as well. They're a top-five team in terms of opponents, two-point shooting percentage, but leave something to be desired on the perimeter. Drew Peterson, great name, along with Boogie Ellis, have been able to combine for 29.5 points. They combine to shoot about 36% from three, USC as a whole. They're shooting 32% from the outside, and if you go back to that first matchup between these two teams, you had UCLA just go ice cold in terms of their overall shooting. They went 9 of 26 from three-point range, but they went 10 of 58 from the floor. Meanwhile, USC, they shot just 3 of 16 from three-point range. I know that UCLA does a good job of being able to cut off the three-point arc, but I would expect the USC Trojans to be a little bit better with that regard. And for this UCLA team, you do have Adam Bona, who I do think is going to be able to bonify himself down low. He's been able to do a nice job with eight and a half points, five rebounds per game, but he's been able to give the team also now one and a half blocks per contest. He's really been able to shape up with that regard. I do think that UCLA is going to be able to get the job done once again, but I do think that much like USC was able to hold in there in game number one, they're going to be able to do so once again in this spot. It's a big battle for Los Angeles. I set my number at four and a half, so here at five, I'm going to be looking to take the points with USC. They've been able to get a little bit more recently on their ancillary pieces like a Trey White who had seven points the first time around, nine and a half points, five rebounds out of him overall for the season. So we'll take five plus here with USC. And with this settle, I do expect a little bit of late game falling. Set my total at a 132 and a half. I think that USC is able to approach that 65 point plateau. This game was looking like it was going to go over before you just saw a big giant slog towards back half of that one. So looking at the over and I'm going to be taking a look at five plus here with USC. 809, 810 on the betting board. Oregon is going to be playing us Colorado. Colorado, 
is a underdog of five to five and a half points. Your total is any between 138 and a half and 140. And with Oregon, I set them as a favorite of three and a half points. I'm going to be willing to take the points with this Colorado team. With Colorado, they've been slowing down a little bit more for much of the season. Colorado has been right around a top 50 team in terms of total possessions per game. They're down to 61st. And for Oregon, they're starting to ascend a little bit more with their tempo, but they're still right around 270th in terms of total possessions per game. And when it comes to this Oregon bunch, the big thing for them is that they've got Jermaine Cousinard back in the fold. Jermaine Cousinard has been able to give the team double figures ever since his return, and that takes a little bit of pressure off of Will Richardson, who's been turning the ball over right around three and a half times per game, a career high for him. Richardson, 14 points, five and a half assists, shooting just 32% from three-point range. Cousinard in six games back, 13 and a half points, a little bit over a steal, shooting 42% from three for a Oregon team that they only shoot about 30.5% from three-point range. And for Oregon, it just has not been a good blend for Dana Ullman the last two seasons. You've only got one player on this team that is able to give you north of five rebounds per game. That would be Infali Dante. 13 points, 7.5 boards, ships in there, a steal and a block per contest. So he's been able to do his part with that regard. But in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, it's an Oregon team that they rank right now about 107th because you're expecting a little bit more out of Khalil Ware, who's only been able to give the team 7.5 points, right around four boards per contest with Colorado. They've been a bit all over the place with their defense as well, but now they're clocking in right around 25th, and a big reason why is because they do a good job by committee of being able to generate steals. They get about eight per contest with Tristan Da Silva, Javon Hadley, KJ Simpson, all giving you between 1.3 and 1.4 steals per game. Simpson and Da Silva have been able to combine for about 32 points, nine rebounds. Simpson gives you 3.8 assists per game, and Da Silva, 6'8 combo player, shoots 37% from three-point range now. For Colorado, they completely own Oregon at home on the road. It's been a little bit of a different story. Last time these two teams played at the CU Event Center, 68-41. to They got the job done. Oregon has won just one game under Dana Oldman in Colorado, so was not shocked to see that. Oregon in that game shot 1-14 of 14 from 3, 12-21 at the free line. I do expect things to warm up a little bit more for them in this spot. I do think that Colorado, them slowing down, it is very real. And Oregon, they do get a slower, more grimier tempo, so I did set my total at a 139.5. This is a circumstance where at current numbers, I would much rather have the 140 under rather than like a 139 over, so that's where I'm looking right now. But with Oregon, felt like they should be more like a 3.5-point favorite, so you're at 5+. plus. I'm going to be one take the points and we're going to take our first break here on Cuts to Cuts Hoops and coming up next we've got my DK Nation pick that is going to be up next right here on the podcast Cuts to Cuts Hoops with myself thank you for and now a part of the family podcast witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as infinity presents a new chapter in luxury the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Okay, quick math. 
The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash stereo right now. NetSuite.com slash stereo. NetSuite.com slash stereo. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash stereo right now. NetSuite.com slash stereo. NetSuite.com slash stereo. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer.
Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash stereo right now. NetSuite.com slash stereo. NetSuite.com slash stereo. All right, you're lovely Las Vegas for Ghost of Ghost Eats with myself, Greg Eats Peterson, now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. Rather expansive card today, so we went guest free on today's podcast, so we continue on. Give you guys picks and analysis on all these games as we continue hit some bank shots. Today's slate is especially large, so that just means more trips to the window. Hoops is dishing out a second half of bank shots. Here we go with the DK Nation pick. 8-11-8-12 on the betting board. It is Purdue and through her to face off against Michigan. This opened up with a total of 139.5. It is down between 136 and 136.5 with Purdue being a 5-point favorite. I did set Purdue as a 3.5-point favorite, so I am going to be willing to take 5 here with Michigan. But the DK Nation pick, it is on the under. Like I said, the opener was 139.5. You still have some value here with this under, though. I set my total at a 133, so I still do like being able to get this total under because with Purdue, they have been playing at one of the slowest paces in all of college basketball. It's currently they're ranked 340th in the country with this regard, and they're playing a bunch of games, Purdue is, where there's not a lot of three-point shooting. As Purdue ranked outside the top 250 in terms of three-point shooting percentage, actually closer to 230th, but opponents on them, they're shooting below 29.5% from three-point range. And Michigan at home is allowing opponents to shoot just 26.5% from three. Purdue, they have not allowed more than 70 points all season long. They have given up 68 points or fewer in now 10 out of their last 11 games, but they also have a Michigan team that they've been able to rise up quite a bit with their defense, giving up 63 points or fewer each out of their last five games, fewer than 70 points in six out of their last eight games overall as well. It is a Michigan team that they shoot about 34.5% from three-point range under Dickinson, 18 points, nine boards, 1.7 blocks per contest, and then Chad Howard, Kobe Bufkin, they've been able to combine for about 27 points per game as well, but past that, you've got a big drop-off in terms of offensive production, though Doug McDaniel is able to give you right around three and a half assists for a Michigan team that they only turn the ball over about 10 times per game, but Purdue just does such a good job of getting their grimy style because you don't get a lot of second chances. They're fifth in the country in terms of defensive rebound rate, and they've got giant of the year, Zach Eady, who should be able to dominate down low, even with Hunter Dickinson on the flip side. 21 half points, 13 rebounds, 2.3 blocks per contest. When it comes to the two star guards for Purdue in the backcourt, Braden Smith, Fletcher Lawyer, they combine to shoot a little bit over 40% from three. They give you a combined about 12.5 points per contest, so I like what they're able to do. And then past that, you got a bunch of guys like Ethan Morton that give you three assists. Brandon Newman has been able to chip in their 6.5 points per game. Just a lot of good glue guys for this Purdue team. I do think that Purdue gets it done, but do keep in mind, home court advantage and how big that is. We've seen Purdue have a couple narrow escapes already against the likes of Michigan State. 
Ohio State as well, and Michigan has been playing well on their own floor. On the road, it's been very, very different. Michigan, they've been able to win every game this calendar year on their own floor, and on the road, they have lost every one of them. So this is a circumstance where I did set my number at a three. I'm going to be willing to take five with Michigan and the DK and H pick. That is going to be on this total under. 8-13, 8-14 on the betting board. Ido is going to be playing us Weber State. Weber State is a favorite of between two and two and a half points in your total on this game between 137 and 138. And with Ido, I did set them as a three and a half point underdog. I'm going to be willing to lay it with Weber State. Weber State has been able to do a really good job with Dylan Jones being one of the most versatile players, not just in the conference, but really in all of college basketball. He's a do-it-all, six-foot-eight-ish player that's been able to give you 15 points, 10.5 boards, 3.9 assists per game, going up against an Ido team that you got to love what Isaac Jones is able to do, 19 points, 7.5 boards. Ido has been able to shoot 35.5% from three, and Ido is a relatively slow and controlled team. They're outside the top 250 in terms of possessions per game. Problem for Ido is that they're a bottom 50 team in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis, and Weber State all of a sudden is a bottom 100 team in terms of total possessions per game. Weber State... They've been hot and cold in terms of their defense, but now they're right around 157th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. They've been able to do a much better job recently with having Stephen Verplanken be a good on-ball defender who's also able to shoot 42.5% from three. He's been able to chip in their 12.5 points per game. Been able to get right around four boards, seven points per game out of Alex too, but take a look past Verplanken and Jones and it's very much a team in which you just got a bunch of guys like a junior Ballard that are trying to just chip in there a little bit of production. Zay Porter has really fallen off with his production. Zayer Porter right around five points per contest out of him. But it's a Weber State team that they have given up fewer than 70 points in every single one of their games this calendar season. And for Weber State, they've been able to do a nice job of just being able to get the job done, be able to get to the window recently. They're facing off against an Ido team that they themselves have been able to do a little bit of a better job on defense, but 70-plus points surrendered out of every single one of their game this calendar season. So it is a circumstance where I did set my total somewhere in the middle. I set my number at a 139.5 for this total here at 137.5, 138. I do think that Weber State gets some offense going. I could see some late game fouling at the back half of this game as well. So looking at the over with Weber State, set them as a three and a half point favorite. So want to lay the two to two and a half with them. 8-15, 8-16 on the betting board. Loyola Marymount is going to be playing on Portland. Portland is an underdog of seven and a half points. Your total is between 151.5 and 152.5. And with Portland, I made them an underdog of eight points. I'm going to be one to lay with Loyola Marymount. Got to feel like the win that Loyola Marymount got against Gonzaga is going to be able to propel them moving forward. And for the mount, you got someone that I really love in Cam Shelton. He's been able to chip in there 19 points, six boards, four and a half assists, shoots in the mid-30s from three-point range, and he's been on absolute fire recently. Four plus assists in four of the last five games now. Three plus turnovers in three of the last four games, but also 17 plus points in each of the last four contests. He has been incredible for this team. And then Kelly Leo Pepe is a six foot six combo player that has been able to chip in there 13 and a half points, six boards, shoots in the high 30s from three point range. Moses Wood, he on the flip side for Portland does that for them as he shoots 41% from three, 15 points, six boards. Been able to get really good production with five boards, five and a half assists, 14 and a half points out of Tyler Robertson. But this Portland team just has been banged up all season long. Chris Austin has been out for the entirety of the season. 
season. Mike Meadows has been in and out of the fold. Meadows returned for 13 points in the last game against Pepperdine, but we saw him return once before, and then he was back on the shelf. Alden Applewhite gives you 9.5 points per game, but doesn't necessarily shoot it from 3. In Portland, they do shoot 38% from 3-point range, but this Portland defense has been absolutely futile thus far this season. 300th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. Now, Foyle Marymount, you could use a little bit more out of guys like Justin Aarons and company, and it's not a defense that necessarily is super stout as they rank right around 163rd in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, but you do take a look at this Loyola Marymount team, and they've given up 72 points or fewer and now three out of their last five games in this conference. That's actually relatively solid, and for Portland... They have given up 76-plus points in now each of their last five games. After a relatively good start to the season, things have went completely down the tubes with them, especially due to injury. So, a circumstance where I did set them out as an 8-point favorite, I'm going to be willing to lay the number in. I did set my total at 148. Loyal Marymount more around 100th in terms of total possessions per game for Portland. They were able to really generate their offense the last few games, 75-plus points in each of the last four contests, but we also saw them put up a 43-point clunker against St. Mary's. I know that St. Mary's is a little bit of a different breed, but last time these two teams played, they got to just 72. To giving up 92 to the Loyola Marymount in that game, but the Mount also shot 15 of 30 from three-point range. I don't think that that's necessarily going to be sustainable in this spot. So I did set my total at 148. I do like the way that the Mount starting to play some defense looking at the under, and I'm going to be willing to lay up to 7.5 with the Mount. 817-818 on the betting board. Pepperdine is going to be playing us to San Diego. San Diego is a 3 to a 4-point underdog with your total between 160 and a half and 162. Set my total at 164.5. I'm going to be willing to go over. You've got a Pepperdine team that is playing at a breakneck pace. You've got a San Diego team that is playing at a fast pace. It's not necessarily like super-duper warp speed or anything like that. They're right around 80th in terms of possessions per game. But you look at both of these defenses, and boy, it's not great to say the least. San Diego, among 363 D1 teams, they are 345th in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. Pepperdine, 271st. Now, for Pepperdine, they should have Javon Porter do a solid job down low, 11.5 points. Seven boards, does shoot 34.5% from three-point range. He's coming off of a 10-rebound performance against Portland, but for Pepperdine, you take a look at it, and they have given up 80-plus points in all but one game this calendar season, and that's when they played against St. Mary's, and they couldn't get to 50. So, yeah, it's not been too terrific there, and for this Pepperdine team, they have allowed fewer than 70 points to one out of their last 12 D1 opponents. Meanwhile, for San Diego, they have given up at least 80 points to all but one D1 team thus far this calendar season, and that's when they played against BYU and they couldn't get past 50. You got Chase Townsend, Marcellus Erlington. They've been able to combine for 31 points in the backcourt for the San Diego team. San Diego has Southampton shooting 38% from three. And San Diego's done a good job being able to put the ball in the basket. They shoot 35.5% from three-point range. They haven't gotten anything whatsoever out of the transfer of Nick Lynch, but you've been able to have guys like Isiko Sishu Jawara be able to shoot 39.5% from three, 3.3 assists per game. Eric Williams Jr. Comes in from Oregon, 14.8 points, 9.8 rebounds per game. And then for Pepperdine, Houston Mallet has been able to shoot from three-point range right around 38.5%, 13.5 points per game. But Pepperdine is whole. They do shoot 37.5% from the outside, but San Diego, they turn the ball over right around 12 times per game. Pepperdine, they are currently turning the ball over 14 times for contest. So that does have me with a little bit of trepidation. Late game falling could be in effect here. And we've got a Pepperdine team that they only shoot right around 68% of the free line. So I could only set my number two and a half. 
Both of these teams very inefficient on defense. I think that we get points of plenty. So my total 164 and a half going over with Pepperdine. Made them a two and a half point favorite. So we'll take the three and a half to four here with San Diego to go along with the over. 819, 820 on the bank board. Cal Poly is going to be playing us a Long Beach State. Long Beach State is a favorite of four points in your total on this game between 140 and 141. Long Beach State, I said as a six and a half point favorite. This is a Cal Poly team that has just completely fallen off the table. Cal Poly in the bottom 40 in terms of total possessions per game. And for Cal Poly, from time to time, they can rise up with their defense. But it's not like they're necessarily doing an amazing job. 170th in the country in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis. Meanwhile, you've got a Long Beach State team that they're in the top 75 in terms of possessions per game. A Long Beach State team that in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis. They're clocking in right around 200th. But Long Beach State should be able to control this game down low with the Trayer brothers. As you've got Abadur Trayer along with Osain Trayer. They've been able to combine for about 17 rebounds per game. I don't know how it is going to be a circumstance where Cal Poly is going to be able to match up with that as they do have Alamami Karama who's been able to do a solid job with his versatility with Karama. 10.8 points, 4.5 boards, shoots 39.5% from three-point range, but some points for fewer and three of the last four games out of him. It's a Cal Poly team that as a whole, despite their slow style, they turn the ball over 14.7 times per game while shooting 31% from three-point range. Been able to get about 10.5 points per game out of Trayvon Taylor and then take a look at this Long Beach State team and We've got Joel Murray along with Marcus Siones combining for 30 points. Long Beach State leaving a lot to be desired with their three-point shooting, shooting 29% for three, 65.5% the free line. A little bit of a concern if you lay the number, but that said, you do still have someone like a Jaden Jones who's able to give you nine points. He's able to shoot about 34% for three. It's been a little bit banged up this season, but should be good to go and should be able to produce at a high level for this team. I think that Long Beach State going to be able to do a good job getting second and third chances. It's a Long Beach State team that's gotten to at least 70 in every game this calendar season. Meanwhile, you take a look at Cal Poly, and last time they played against Long Beach State, they lost by a count of 77 to 58, and in that game, Cal Poly shot 5 of 13 from three-point range, which is solid for them, but there are combined 32 turnovers in this game. I do think that this game also going to be getting a little bit sloppier, but I do think that Long Beach State going to be able to do their part to be able to just continue to hold down Cal Poly, do a nice job on the glass. semi total 136 half, diving under of Long Beach State, made them a 6.5 point favorite, so one to lay the four that I'm seeing with them. 821-822 on the betting board. C.S. Bakersfield, meet meet for the Roadrunners. They play off C.U.C. Davis. C.U.C. Davis is in between a 5.5 to a 6 point favorite. And your total, it is between 130.5 and 131.5 for U.C. Davis overall this season. They rank in the top 75 in terms of possessions per game, but you'll notice in conference, they've been actually a little bit more of a slow-tempo team, and it is a Bakersfield team that they put the clamps down. They are in the bottom 75 in terms of total possessions per game, and it is a Bakersfield team that they're relatively solid on defense. It's not like they're necessarily going to be winning any sort of awards for it, but you know what? It's a Bakersfield team that they rank right around 158th in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, so as a result, I did set my total at a 131. It's pretty much a middle number in terms of what we're seeing in the market right now. At 130.5, I would be willing to go over, and I could see some late game felling happening in this one because I did also set UC Davis as a 7-point favorite with having Elijah Pepper along Ty Johnson manufacture about 34.5 points, 11 rebounds, 
right around six assists, three and a half steals per contest. And Johnson shoots 35.5% from three. Christian Anigwe at six foot nine. He is shooting 40.5% from distance, 12.5 points per game. I love what he's able to bring to the table. It is a little bit of a top heavy UC Davis team, but for UC Davis, they've really been able to do a good job of being able to buckle down a little bit more on defense as they have allowed 70 points or fewer. And now four out of their last six games, you do have a Bakersfield team that they've been the opposite, allowing 76 points to UC Santa Barbara and Cal State Fullerton. So that's not been great. And for this Bakersfield team, I know that I'm going to be on the over in this spot, but boy, they have scored 60 points or fewer in now five out of their last seven games. It has been pretty unsightly there. Last time they faced off against UC Davis, it was on the home court of UC Davis, but that was a 67-48 loss for Bakersfield, a game in which they shot 37% from the floor with 20, kind of 20 turnovers. I do think that the turnovers are not going to be quite as bad in this one. UC Davis not doing that amazing of a job of generating turnovers. It is a Bakersfield team that they shoot about 33.5% for three. Caleb Higgins done a nice job giving you four assists or two points per contest and then pass that Modestus Conclaris along with Cameron Smith. They've been able to combine for a little bit over 11 rebounds per game. You've been able to get right around 9.5 points, 4.5 rebounds per game out of Tavion Column. So it's a circumstance where I do think that UC Davis, much like the first time around, they're going to be able to get the job done. I do think that you're going to have fewer than the 32 turnovers that we saw the first time around. That should lead to a little bit more scoring. So at 130.5 or less, looking at the over, I'm willing to lay up to 6.5 with UC Davis, a 23-24 on the betting board. UC Irvine is going to be on the road facing off against Kelsey Fullerton. Fullerton is a 1.5 to a 2-point underdog with your total between 135.5 and 136.5 with Fullerton. Set them as a 3.5-point dog. I'm going to be willing to lay the points with UC Irvine. The Anteaters have done a solid job really being able to get things going from three-point range, which you typically don't expect from UC Irvine, but they're shooting as a whole a little bit over 38% from three-point range. We got a pair of guys in DJ Turnitup Davis, Long Toss, and Baker. They're combining to shoot about 38% from three-point range, combining for 28 points per contest, and then you've got a team that does a good job rebounding by committee. Bent Lutkan has been able to give you about six boards, seven and a half points per game. Devin Till, six and a half points, six boards, shooting 36%. From the outside for Irvine, they do turn the ball over just 12 and a half times per game. They rank just barely outside the top 100 in terms of total possessions per game. Pierre Cockrell done a nice job being able to really manufacture some offense and being able to dole out the ball 4.7 assists per game. Only gives you right around 5 points per game, but they go up against a Fullerton team that they've done a rock-solid job of holding up at the point of attack on defense. They're just outside the top 200 in terms of total possessions per game for Fullerton, 130th in the country. It turns points a lot on a per-possession basis, giving up a little bit fewer than 12 points per 100 possessions more when they are on the road rather than at home, so they've been significantly better at home is what I'm trying to say. I think I put it in a convoluted way, but that said, for UC Irvine, typically it's a rock-solid defense. Right now, they're about 100th in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis, but they're giving up 2.8 points fewer per 100 possessions when they are on the road rather than at home. Meanwhile, you've got for Fullerton, Max Jones, who's been able to give you 10.5 points, 4.5 boards, shooting 39.5% from 3. And for Fullerton, they shoot 37.5% from the outside. You have Vincent Lee chip in their 5 rebounds per game. He's giving you 9 points per contest. Torrey San Antonio, so they will give you 6.8 points, 4.6 rebounds. And then you've got a pair of guys in Jalen Harris, along with Latrell Wrightsell Jr., who have been able to combine for nearly 30 points, 5 assists per game. I do think that Irvine should be able to get the job done in the spot. And for Irvine, the defense 
sense of really just fortitude has been beginning to return for them. 70 points of fear surrendered in four of their last five games. You got a Fullerton team that they've been able to do a solid job of holding up at the point of attack on defense. And they themselves on offense, they have scored fewer than 70 points in now four out of their last six games in regulation because we've had a few games go to overtime. So in circumstance where I did set my total at a 131.5, I'm going to be willing to dive under. And with Irvine, willing to lay up to three with them. 825, 826 on the betting board. Sacramento State plays us Montana. Montana's between a 1 to a 1.5 point underdog with your total between 129 and 130.5. And with Montana, I did set them as a 4 point underdog. I'm going to be willing to lay the small number of Sacramento State. Sacramento State should be able to win from within in this game as you've got a very versatile 7 foot 1 gentleman in Colin McCray who's done a good job with 9.5 rebounds. He's able to give you 2.6 assists, a block per contest, along with 11.5 points per game. His scoring is down recently. Eight points of fear in far the last five games, but still giving out assists, still giving you a block per contest. He's been a good, really, rim protector for a Sacramento State team that has been able to play some of their best defense recently. 65 points or fewer in each of their last five games. It is a team that prior to that, they had given up north of 70 points in their previous two games. But if you take a look overall, they have given up fewer than... 70 points in now seven out of their last nine games. It is a Montana team that ranks in the bottom 30 in terms of possessions. Graham, Sacramento State in the bottom 75. And for Montana, they have just been stuck with their offense. 64 points or fewer in three of their last four games because they rely a little bit too much on Josh Bannon to do it all. 16 points, 8 and a half boards, 3 and a half assists. He's 42% from three. It's a six foot ten combo player for Montana team that shoots 78% of the free line, 35% from three, but they don't generate a lot of steals, which that is going to be big because this is a Sacramento State team that the way that you stop them is by turning them over 14 turnovers per game because they've got Zach Chapel who shoots 38% from three, 15 points per game. Austin Patterson, who comes in from Wofford, shoots 38% from the outside, nine points per contest. Akal Wayne is going to give you about seven rebounds per game down low as well. So that's not in favor of Montana and for Montana. You do have a pair of guys in Ian Moody and Long Deshaun Thomas that's been able to give you 27 points per contest. So this is a circumstance where I do think that it's going to be another low-scoring game. Sacramento State, they really do try to master that. David Patrick, who comes in from UC Riverside, has always been looking to play a little bit more of a slow, grimy style. I did set my total as a result at a 126. I'm going to be one to dive under. And with Sacramento State, they've been able to get on a little bit of a nice roll recently, coming off of a pair of tough losses on the road against Weber State and Idaho State, but they've been able to control things at home. I think that they'll do so once again. One to lay up to three and a half with Sacramento State. And looking at the under 827, 828 on the betting board, it is Cal State Northridge, and they're going to be playing us to UC San Diego. UC San Diego is a pick em to a one-point favorite, and your total on this game is between 126 and 127. And for San Diego, I did set them as a two-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay the small number. I know that San Diego has had some bad betting luck thus far this season, but I do think that they're going to be able to get online in this game because you do have the best score out there on the floor in Bryce Pope, who's been able to give you 19 points per game for a pair of teams in this game that are in the bottom 75 in terms of possessions per game, but I do think that UC San Diego, they're going to be able to control things down low. Even without Jerron Brooks, you've had Emmanuel Shaminga and Francis Nuacore who have been able to give you a combined 19 points, 13 and a half rebounds per game, and Nuacore is able to shoot 34% from three-point range. It is a CSUN team that you do have Aiden Wright, who's been able to combine with Deontay Bostic for 
for 27.5 points, right around 2.7 steals per game. But for CSUN, they only shoot about 32% from three-point range. And though CSUN is a relatively slow team, they leave something to be desired on defense. And really, both of these teams do. EC San Diego, 286th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, giving up 7.6 points fewer per one or possessions on the road rather than at home. And you take a look at this Cal State Northridge team, and they're 264th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, giving up 4.2 points more per one earned possessions at home rather than on the road. So San Diego's been better on the road. CSUN's been worse at home. I find that to be very, very puzzling to say the least. Deshaun Ellen Eikens, 10.5 points, 5.5 boards, shoots 37.5% from three, and nobody else for CSUN really gives you north of 5.5 points per game. Both of these teams have been having a rough time on offense. For UC San Diego, they're coming off of 110 points, but that's because the game went to triple overtime. If you're looking in terms of games that have not gone to triple overtime for UC San Diego, they have scored 70 points or fewer in each of the last six games, and it's a CSUN team that the last time they were able to break the 70-point plateau, you have to go all the way back to when they played against Long Beach State to kick off the 2023 year. I do think that this is going to be a game in which it is going to be slowed down. Both of these teams... Not efficient on defense. Both of these teams not efficient on offense. I did set this total at 126. They're both coming off of strange overtime games. I do think the things are going to be a little bit more buckled down. So here at 127, looking at the under with UC San Diego. Set them as a two-point favorite, so taking them as a pick'em slash a one-point favorite. 829, 830 on the betting board. Portland State is going to be playing against Montana State. Montana State is a favorite of four and a half points in your total between 143 and a half and 144. With Portland State set them as a three and a half point underdog. So we'll take the four plus because Montana State, they do a very solid job on defense. They're now a top 125 team in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. You're Brian Bell, one of the best on-ball defenders that you're going to find at the mid-major level. He's been able to give this Montana State team 13 points, six and a half boards, a block, uh, half a seal per contest, and has put up a double-double in two out of the team's last three games. But for Portland State, they're going to have the best point guard out there on the floor. I really like the way that You've been able to have Cameron Parker just take over the show. 14.5 points, 5.7 assists, and 2.6 turnovers per game while shooting 38.5% for three. Portland State, they play at a top 60 mark in terms of total possessions per game. No question about it. Portland State leaving a little bit of something to be desired on defense in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. Portland State, 294th in the country, but you do have guys who are able to stroke it for three as a whole. You've got a Portland State team that shoots 34.5% for three, but each of your top four scores shoot at least 36% from the outside. Gerald Satterfield, 13.5 points, shoots 36% from three. Hunter Woods, about 11 points, five boards, shooting 37.5% from the outside, and it's a Portland State team that is going to lose a battle down low. As Montana State, you've also been able to have them have Darius Brown, the second, come in from CSUN. He does it all, 4.7 assists, 9.5 points, 4.3 rebounds, to 1.6 turnovers per game, and it is a Montana State team that they shoot 33.5% from three-point range, but great us aboard. He's now only been able to give the team right around four rebounds per game, break on battle, chips in there 16 points. you got to love the way that his offense has just been able to blossom as the season has won along 14-plus points in four of the last five games. But with Portland State, been relatively impressed by the way that the team has been able to get things buckled down a little bit more on defense. 
giving up fewer than 70 points in three of their last five games. It's a Montana State team that they've done an amazing job with their defense, giving up fewer than 70 points in now five out of their last six contests. So I do think that things are going to be held down a little bit more. I did set my total at a 143.5. Seeing this at a 144, diving under, and with Portland State, we'll take four or more with them. 831, 832 on the betting board. Washington is going to be playing against Arizona State. Arizona State, a 1.5 to a 2.5 point favorite. And your total between 139 and 142.5. So we're seeing quite a range here. And for Arizona State, I did set them as a favorite of four points. So I'm going to be willing to lay the small number with Washington ever since you've had the injury that has really manifested itself with Fran and Kepadog. It's been rough for Washington, to say the least. It's a Washington team that has been a mid-double team all season long, but in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, after a relatively strong start to the season, they're now right around 110th, playing relatively equal home and road in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. Meanwhile, you've got an Arizona State team that is 34th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. You've got Arizona State doing a good job with the Cambridge Brothers, being able to chip in there a combined about 23 and a half to 24 points per contest. Devon Cambridge, he's able to give you 10 points, 5.5 boards, shoots 36.5% for three point range. Desmond Cambridge, 34.5% three point shooter, with both of these guys being able to chip in there a little bit over two seals per game. And then Frankie Collins, 10.5 points, 4.5 boards, 4.8 assists. He's been a nice edgy suffer along with having down low Warren Washington, a 7 footer, be able to give you 7 rebounds per game. Now, Braxton Mia has been able to do a good job chipping in there right around six rebounds, about a block and a half to two blocks per contest for him down low. And then Keon Brooks does it all for Washington. 17 points, seven boards, block and a half per game for a Washington team that shoots 32% from three and turns the ball over 14 times per game. Last time these two teams played, one of the bad beats of the year, Arizona State was up like 18 points with 90 seconds left. The total hit by like a point because Washington buried three after three when the game was out of reach. It was 73 to 65. Total was like 137 half in Arizona. State was about a nine or so point favorite. So, I mean, man, that was absolutely brutal. And you saw Arizona State completely control that game. I think that they should be able to do so once again against a Washington team that just has not been able to play good basketball recently. This is a total that... I said at 134, so I'm going to be willing to dive under in this spot. And with Arizona State, made them the four-point favorite, so going to be willing to lay the number and go with this total under. 833-834 on the betting board. It is Arizona. They hit the road to face off against Washington State. Washington State is a home underdog between four and five points in your total on this game. You're between 144.5 and 145.5. And, and with Arizona, I did set them as a favorite of five points. So I'm going to be willing to lay the four in this spot with Arizona. They've really been able to ascend with the way that they've been able to get things cooking with their offense as you've got Azul Sabellas, Umar Balo. They are just two dominant players down low as they've been able to give you a combined 36 points, 18 and a half rebounds, about two steals per game. Arizona, they shoot about 35 and a half percent from three-point range. And for Arizona, it has been a little bit hot and cold for them on the offensive front as they've been able to get to 70 plus points in just three out of the last six games. And Last time these two teams played, Washington State held them to just 61 points, but also for Arizona, they've been able to hold their opponents to 70 points or fewer in four out of their last six games. And when it comes to Washington State, 
This squad has been able to do a good job on defense. They've allowed 61 points or fewer in four of their last five games. Question is the offense, because Washington State, their bottom 40 team in terms of possessions per game. Arizona is a top 25 team in terms of possessions per game, but for Washington State, 12.8 turnovers per game has been a little bit costly. They shoot 36% from three, with TJ Bomba being the main guy, 15 points per contest. Mohamed Gay down low, 13 points, 8 rebounds per game, and last time these two teams squared off in Arizona, lost on their own floor by a count of 71-64. to Washington State did a great job shooting 12 of 28 from three-point range. I don't think that they're going to be able to quite duplicate that. Mohamed Gay had himself a day down low, 24 points, 14 rebounds. I think that Arizona is going to be able to scheme up something a little bit differently, and I don't think that they're going to go four of 25 from three-point range, much like they did the last time around. DJ Rodman in that previous game had 11 points, and you've got Justin Powell, who's been able to do a solid job in the backcourt for Washington State with 10 points, three assists. He's able to shoot 38.5% from three-point range, but he's been slowing down a little bit more recently. I do think that Arizona going to be able to do a relatively solid job of being able to get their offense going after last time around. They just couldn't get a lot generated here at 145.5. I still do think that it's a little bit too lofty. Arizona's been a bit better on defense at Washington State when the slowest seems in all of college basketball. So here at 145.5, diving under with Arizona, one to lay up to 4.5 with them. 835-836 on the betting board. Utah hits the road to face off against Oregon State. Oregon State is an underdog of 7 to 7.5 points with your total between 129.5 and 130. And with Oregon State, I set them as a 10-point underdog. Oregon State has had a really difficult time being able to get anything going this season. As for Oregon State, you've got Jordan Pope. He's been able to give you 12.5 points per contest, but really past Glenn Taylor Jr. is able to give you 11.5 points per game. It does shoot 40% from three, and Pope shoots 38.5% from three. Not a lot of support for these two guys. Dexter Cano, 9.5 points, 2 assists per contest, and Pope and Taylor got a point out, 5.3 assists per contest, but for Oregon State, a bottom one on our team, turns points a lot on a per-possession basis, and for Utah, they're a mid-tempo team. You had an Oregon State team that does rank in the bottom 75 in terms of possessions per game, but by far the more efficient defense, that'd be Utah. 16th of the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. Top 15 when it comes to a road and neutral court environment because Brandon Carlson, he's got something that travels, and that's 7-foot size, 17 points, 6 half boards, 2.3 blocks per game. Utah as a whole, they shoot 35% for three with Gabe Manson, 12 points, shoots 38% from the outside. You got Marco Anthony who's able to give you some boards, 7.5 points per game. Raleigh Worcester is not the worst because he gives you five boards, five assists, nine points per contest. He's done a great job for the team, and it is a Utah team that they've been a little bit up and down this season, but the defensive just fortitude that you've got with this team, it has been remaining all season long. They've given up north of 71 points pretty much twice all season long. I do think that Utah going to do a good job of putting the clamps out on an Oregon State team that they've been able to exceed 70 points once this calendar year. That came against an Arizona team that was playing all sorts of up-tempo and for Oregon State, just been rough for them to be able to get their offense going all season long. I did set my total at 134 because I do think that Utah is really going to be able to crank it up. I think that they're going to be able to get past 70 points against this Oregon State team, an Oregon State team that has allowed at least 74 points 
in two out of their last four games. And I mean, they were able to put up 68 points against Cal, so a little bit of a bright spot there. And you do have a Utah team that is coming off of scoring 77 and 86 points against Washington School. So we'll take the over and say Utah is a 10-point favorite. Going to be willing to lay it. This last game on the normal Las Vegas betting board before we hit the extra games. 837-838. UC Santa Barbara It's a red face-off against Y. Hawaii is between a pick-em to a one-point favorite. Turtles anywhere between 125 and 126.5. And with Hawaii, I did set them as a 3.5-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay it with both of these teams. They rank in the top 50 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. They both rank outside the top 250 in terms of total possessions per game. But for Hawaii, for one, you've got the island of Hawaii. That is a nice home court advantage. Long flight, and you have to travel through multiple time zones if you're UC Santa Barbara. And for Santa Barbara, they're going to be able to do a solid job down low because they've got a pair of guys in Miles Norris along with Andre 3000 Kelly. They come in from the Pac-12. Kelly, nine points per contest, not a lot of versatility there. He's just down low. Miles Norris, he's a 6'10 combo player that gives you 14 points. Shoots 42.5% per three. And A.J. Mitchell, 4.7 assists, 15.5 points per game. Shoots only about, though, 25% from three for a Santa Barbara team that as old, they shoot about 34% from the outside for Santa Barbara. They have been able to get past the 70-point plateau each other last three games. And for Santa Barbara, they have allowed 65 points or fear in each out of their last, I believe now, eight games. They have been really, really good on the defensive side of things. Meanwhile, you take a look at this Hawaii bunch, and they did allow 76 points to UC Irvine. But, I mean, you take a look at this Hawaii team, and They've been able to do a really good job with their defense. They've allowed just three opponents all season long to be able to break the 70-point plateau. Kamekaepa, he's a 6'10 couple player that gives you 10.5 points, 7 boards, shoots 37.5% for three-point range. Javon McClanahan to be able to chip in their three assists. And why they do turn the ball for 12.5 times per game. That is a little bit of an issue that you've got with them, but Bernardo Da Silva being able to chip in their seven rebounds per game should be a matchup down low. And for Santa Barbara, they're a similar tempo team that they turn the ball for 13 times per game. I do think that the home court of Hawaii going to reign supreme. I said Hawaii is a three and a half point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay it in. I do think that this is going to be a low scoring slog where both of these defenses are going to be able to really hunker down and lock down. I said my total 121 and a half diving under and I'm willing to take Hawaii in this spot. Now we hit the extra games. The normal betting board picks are complete, but there are some extra games today. So we go into the bonus. This starts with three of six, five, 31, three of six, five, 32. Wagner is going to be playing us to St. Francis of New York and St. Francis is between a nine and a half to a 10 point underdog. Your total on this game, finding it anywhere between 125 and a half and 126. And for St. Francis, I did set them as a nine and a half point underdog. At 10, it is my buy point on them. Got a pair of teams that rank in the bottom one in terms of total possessions per game. And it is a St. Francis of Brooklyn team that they do have one guy down low in Josiah Harris who's able to give you seven and a half rebounds per game past that. You don't have a lot in the interior. You're going to be relying upon Rob Higgins, Larry Moreno to be able to generate some offense. They combine for about 22 points, two and a half steals per game. And Moreno is able to shoot 40 and a half percent from three point range down. But they to be able to shoot 37 percent from the outside, nine points per game out of MC Francis. They do a good job of being able to generate some turnovers. Wagner does as well as they get about seven and a half steals per game considering their slow tempo. That's pretty good to Lonnie Hunt as we able to combine with Spike transfer Brandon Brown to be able to give you about 3.4 assists right in that neighborhood about 21 and a half points per contest with Wagner. They shoot 67% at the free line, 32% from three-point range. Other than Brown, who's able to give you nine rebounds per game, they don't have a ton down low. So with having Harris be able to give you seven and a half rebounds per game for St. Francis of New York, that should be able to keep them within arm's reach. And it's a St. Francis of New York team that has been able to 
do a little bit of a better job on defense. And, I mean, their offense, you give them credit, 70-plus points in three out of the last five games. Wagner, they have been one of your top 100 teams in all of college basketball. Last time they allotted an opponent to exceed 70 points on them, you have to go all the way back to their game against Fordham where they gave up 72 points in that spot in early December. So I do think that you're going to be in for a low-scoring slog. So by total 123.5, I'm diving under. And with Wagner, can only make them a 9.5-point favorite. Wagner has been able to cover pretty much each other last three games. Prior to that, they had covered just two out of their previous 10. So circumstance where we'll take 10 plus here with St. Francis and the total under 306-534. It is Bellarmine. They're going to be playing us Eastern Kentucky. Eastern Kentucky is a 2 to a 2 and a half point favorite. Seeing a straight one out there as well. Totals between 135 and a half and 138 with Eastern Kentucky set them as a two point favorite. So seeing that straight one out of everything on the board, that's what I'd be taking a look at in this spot. If we could get to more like a three, then I'd be willing to buy in on Bellarmine, but with Bellarmine, they rank in the bottom 30 in terms of total possessions per game. They also rank in the bottom 50 in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. Now, with Eastern Kentucky, it's a little bit of all or nothing defense. They've been able to generate about 10 steals per game, but if they don't get a steal, they typically allow an open shot. They're right around 186th in the country in terms of points allowed. On a per-possession basis, you do have Michael Moreno and Devontae Blanton being able to combine for 28 points, and they both shoot 40% from three. They both have good size. They combine for about 12.5 rebounds per game. Meanwhile, for Bellarmine, it's really a collective with this team. Garrett Tipton, he's your only double-figure scorer, 12 points. Shoots 35% for three. And Bellarmine, they do shoot 36% from the outside, but because of their slow tempo and because they are so inefficient on defense, they're a, quite a bit of an all-or-nothing team. They have scored 61 points or fewer in each of their previous four games, and prior to that, they had gotten past the 69-point plateau in their previous three. So it's been very up and down there. It is an Eastern Kentucky team that has a lot at least 70 points in three out of their last four games, but that said, they've also been able to get past 70 points in three out of their four as well. I do think that you get Bellarmine to get back online a little bit more with their offense, but I do think that Eastern Kentucky, they're going to be able to generate some swipes, so Bellarmine does typically do a solid job of being able to take care of the ball, only about 11 turnovers per game. I do think that Bellarmine holds in there, but in the end, Eastern Kentucky with their style and just overall size, being able to the glass as you don't have anyone that gives you north of five rebounds per game for Bellarmine, that wins out in this spot. Said Eastern Kentucky is a two-point favorite. I have everything I'm seeing on the board, willing to lay the one with Eastern Kentucky, and Semi-total 135, going to be diving under 306, 535, 306, 536. Liberty is going to be playing us at Setson. Liberty is a 13 to a 14 and a half point favorite with your total between 133 and a half and 135. And with Liberty, Setson has a 10 point favorite. Going to be one take double figures here with Setson. Setson is very much like Bellarmine in that they play super slow. They're in the bottom 25 in terms of possessions per game. Setson, a very good team that shoots north of 38%. From three-point range as a collective, and with Stetson, they're also 342nd in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. Stetson has said that gentlemen in jail and Blackman come in from Grand Canyon, give you 13.5 points on 36% three-point shooting at Stetson. They only turn the ball over 10.5 times per game. They're sort of like a poor man's Liberty without the defense, if that makes sense. Darius McGee, he's been able to do a solid job for this Liberty team, 21 points, shooting 43.5% per three for a Liberty team that they shoot 39% per three with 10.5 turnovers per game. Gotta love the way that Kyle Rode runs this offense. 6.7 point forward, 9.5 points, 3.5 rebounds, 4 assists, shoots 36% from 3 with 1.3 turnovers per contest. It is a Liberty team that they rank in the top 70 in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis and they've been able to hold each of their last 5 opponents to 62 points or fewer and they've been able to pass the 70 point plateau 
in three of their last four games. Meanwhile, for Stetson, it's been all over the place with them. 80-plus points in four of their last five games. They've also now surrendered at least 70 points in four of their last five games. So very much up and down with Stetson. Even though they play at a slow style, they've been giving up a whole bunch of points. Now they go up against a Liberty team that they are looking to put the clamps out on defense. But I still do think that Stetson is going to get their style of giving up a lot of points and scoring a lot of points. 7 by 12 at 136. I'm going to be willing to go over. And I think that Stetson holds in this game with their tremendous three-point shooting. Going to be willing to take the points. 3 of 6, 5, 37. 3 of 6, 5, 38. Sacred Art is going to be playing us to Long Island. Long Island is an underdog of 12 and a half to 13 points. 147 after 149 is your total. I'm Long Island. I set them as a 13 and a half point underdog. I'm going to be willing to lay the number with Sacred Art. With Sacred Art, they should be able to win the battle down low because with Sacred Art, you've been able to get some really good rebounding out of both Brandon Johnson along with Nico Galletti. These two guys have been able to combine for just under 15 rebounds per game. Galletti, 15 and a half points. A block, 1.9 seals per game. And this is a Sacred Art team. As old, they shoot 31% for three in Long Island. They play at a top 30 pace in terms of total possessions per game. They also rank in the bottom 30 in terms of both points scored and points allowed on a per possession basis. This is by the fact that Marco Melitic has been able to give this Long Island team 17 points per contest and shoots. 39.5% from three. Long Island as a whole, they shoot 33.5% from the outside, but 16 turnovers per game and just a 63.5% free throw shooting percentage. That hurts them. Now, they do have back in the fold Andre 3000 Washington, who's been able to give the team 13 points per game. He's been able to chip in their double figures in four of the last five games, so that helps them out quite a bit. But for Sacred Heart, you also have in the backcourt Raheem Solomon. Comes in from Niagara. He and also Joey Riley combined for about 24 and a half points. They combined to shoot about 35% from three-point range. And it's a sacred art team that maybe they able to get things free-flowing a little bit more with their offense. Getting past 70 points in three out of their last five games. Defense leaving something to be desired. Giving up 68-plus in four of their last five games. With the way that Sacred Art plays, I do think that they're going to be able to pound the glass. And I do think that they're going to be able to utilize a tempo that ranks in the top 125 in the country to really take it to Long Island. Set this summer at 13 and a half. Want to lay it with Sacred Art. Set my total 151 and a half. So also looking over. 306, 539, 306, 540. Fairly Dickinson is going to be playing us to St. Francis of Pennsylvania. St. Francis is a three and a half to a four and a half point underdog totals between 153 and a half and 154 and a half for St. Francis. They do a pretty solid job with their offense. Problem is, they rank in the bottom 30 nationally in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. Fairleigh Dickinson, they rank in the bottom 75 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. So, I did set my total at 154. Would rather have the 153.5 over rather than the 154.5 under, personally, because you do have a squad that they just play all out of sorts with the St. Francis of PA team with Josh Conan, who I think can actually play at the next level. He's been terrific for the St. Francis team. 21 half points, 8 boards down low, and then you've been able to have Landon Moore and Maxwell Land, who have been able to combine for in the neighborhood about 21 half points per contest. Both of these guys shoot between 34 and a half and 37 half percent from the outside. You've had a little bit of injury to both of these gentlemen, and Landon Moore has been missing the last game or two, so I do think that you're probably going to be looking a little bit more to Ron L. Giles, who he's come back from injury and has been able to give the team a combined 30 points in the last two games, so that is going to be able to help out St. Francis of Pennsylvania, but that injury does hurt this team as well, and I did set Fairleigh Dickinson as a six-point favorite as a result for Fairleigh Dickinson. They're going to be bludgeoned a little bit down low. You've got Joe Munden Jr. coupled with Sean Moore. They combine for about 10 rebounds per game, but they really don't have anyone with size that's able to match up with Cone, but this is a perimeter defense of St. Francis that is absolutely terrible, and you've got Grant Singleton along to Barry Roberts that combined for 32 points per game. Singleton shoots 93% of the free line, 40% from three-point range, and getting back Hero Blygen. Very big for this 
fairly against the team. He's been limited with his minutes. He has played 24 fear in all of his games since coming back, but overall for the season, 11 points. 4.3 rebounds per game, despite the fact that he doesn't have ideal size. Does a good job getting down low. There's a fairly Dickinson team that they've been able to do a pretty tremendous job with their offense all season long. They've been able to get past 85 points in three other last five games. you got a St. Francis team that they've been able to play better defense recently, giving up 72 points for fear in each other the last four games. A lot of that is due to the competition that they have played, and I do think that facing off against Fairleigh Dickinson, this is going to cause for a shootout, especially with St. Francis being without one of their better perimeter defense. So I did set this number at six. I'm going to be willing to lay it with Fairleigh Dickinson and at 153.5 or less, looking at the over 306.541, 306.542. You've got yourself Longwood and they're going to be playing us to Radford. Radford is a favorite of a one to one and a half points and your total is between 131.5 and 132.5 and, and it's a situation where I did set Radford as a very slight favorite in this ordeal of two points. One and a half is the max I'm willing to lay, but I'm going to be willing to lay it with Radford. They are back to playing their slow style right around 280th in the country in terms of possessions per game, but what you got to love about Radford is their two main scorers. Is you got Duquan Smith, Lonkin, and Giles, 24 and a half points, three assists out of these two, and they both shoot north of 39% from three. Radford has a hold. They're shooting 37%. From the outside, Brian Antoine, who comes in for Villanova, 10 points, 1.7 seals per contest, was dealing with a little bit of an injury, but has come back with 16-plus points each of the last two games. And for Longwood, this team is one of the better defenders that you're going to find out there in the Big South in the top 130. Turns the points a lot on a per-possession basis. You've got Deshaun Wade, Waylon Napper, Isaiah Wilkins combining for about 33.5 points per contest. Wade and Napper both give you about 3.5 rebounds, and Napper is able to chip in their 3.5 assists per game, and then Wilkins shoots 37% from the outside. For a Longwood team that they do shoot 36.5% from three-point range, Longwood has done a great job with their defense recently, giving up 64 points or fewer in each other last four games. Meanwhile, you've got a Radford team that they're currently riding a five-game win streak. They've been able to do a great job putting the clamps down on defense themselves as they've given up north of 70 points just once in conference play. And, I mean, they were able to hang in there to the tune of single digits against Kansas State. This team has been able to do a really good job of being able to play their slower style, be able to generate some turnovers. That's Radford. They're getting right around seven half steals per game, and it is a Longwood team that they don't necessarily have a ton down low. Wilkins is right now your top rebounder. Zach Watson and Michael Christmas, they do combine for about nine and a half rebounds per game, but with having Shaquan Jules along with... Also, Justin Archer combining for about 12 rebounds per game. Radford should be able to win the battle down low as well. Semi-total 132. I'm thinking that we're going to get a little bit of late game falling. Radford, good three-point shooting team. Willing to go over. with Radford, willing to lay up to one and a half with them. 3 at 6 5 North Alabama is going to be playing us to Jacksonville. Jacksonville, a 3-4 to four point favorite. And your total is between 132.5 and 134.5. And with Jacksonville, it's not the best, just a two-point favorite. I'm going to be looking to take the points with North Alabama. Coming into the season, we thought that Jacksonville was going to be a surprise defense once again in Jacksonville. Well, they're not giving up a ton of points because they're in the bottom 20 in terms of their total possessions per game, but Jacksonville, 221st in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, giving up 8.1 points more per one of possessions on the road rather than at home in North Alabama. Certainly leaving something to be desired at 323rd with this regard, but North Alabama... They are able to do a solid job of being able to sink their threes, and they're going up against a squad on the flip side that has not necessarily been able to get a lot of offense outside of KV on Nolan. Nolan's been able to chip in their 14 points, shoots in the 30s from three-point range, and I will say for Jacksonville, they are shooting in that neighborhood about 35% 
from three-point range. You've been able to get 10 points per contest along 4.3 rebounds out of Josiah Powell, who's been able to shoot 46% from three-point range. Jose Osifo, Jordan Davis, they combined for about 11 boards in that neighborhood, about 17 points per game. Omar Payne, who comes in from Illinois, is on that same bench, terrific down low. And then Devane Forrest for North Alabama, only guy that gives you north of 40 rebounds per game, but in half points, seven rebounds per game. But then you've got Will Sosi, KJ Johnson, combined for 20 points. Both of these guys shoot it well from three, including Sosi shooting 43.5% for three, but then Daniel Latrice shooting 42% from three, right around 12 points per contest. That should be able to keep North Alabama very live in this game. It's a Jacksonville team that has been just 7-9 and nine against the spread. Their offense has been a bit better recently, 68-plus points in three out of their last four games for North Alabama. They have scored at least 78 points in four out of their last five games, so I do think that you are going to be able to get some points up on the board in this ordeal, but keep in mind, Jacksonville still one of the slowest teams in all of college basketball. I do think that North Alabama starting to turn over a new leaf with regards to their defense up by total 129 diving under. So Jacksonville is just a two-point favorite, so take a three-plus here with North Alabama. 3 of 6, 5, 45, 3 of 6, 5, 46. It is Central Connecticut playing us Merrimack. Merrimack between a one-point favorite to a one-and-a-half-point underdog. Totals between 117.5 to 118.5. I set my total at a 118. Seeing the 118 and a half, I'm going to be diving under because with Merrimack, they have played just two games of the over all season long. We're starting to see these numbers go down, down, down. So there is a little bit less runway with regards to these totals, but you do have a Central Connecticut team that is outside the top 200 in terms of total possessions per game, outside the top 200 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis as well. But you got a Merrimack team that they turn the ball over right around 15 times per game, but they generate nearly 10 seals per game. Central Connecticut, they turn the ball over 12 and a half times per game. They've got Nigel Scantleberry and Kellen Amos combined for 25 points per game. Scantleberry, Four assists, 1.8 steals per game. Amos shoots 37.5% from three-point range. But problem for Central Connecticut, Andre Sadi with his 9.7.7 rebounds per game. Only guy on the team that's able to give you really north of 4.5 rebounds per game, which is why I did make Merrimack the two-point favorite one. Take them on the money line as an underdog, which is what I'm finding in most places. Jordan Dekak, along with Ziggy Reed, have been able to combine for 20 points, 8.2 rebounds per game. And then Jordan Miner, how about 2.5 blocks, 8.5 rebounds, 17 points per game. Merrimack shoots just 29% from three-point range, but I do think that they're going to be able to win from within. It's a Merrimack team that is not allowed north of 70 points in seemingly an eon and a half. They didn't even allow that much to San Francisco. I think that things are going to be buttoned up. I think that things are going to be grimy, especially against a Central Connecticut team that has failed to get past the 60-point plateau in three of the last four games, taking the 118 and a half under and taking Merrimack as a outright underdog on the money line slash as a one-point favorite, 3 of 6, 5, 47, 3 of 6, 5, 48. Queens NC is going to be playing us the Florida Gulf Coast. Florida Gulf Coast is an underdog of one point with your total between 150 and 151. And with Dunk City, made them a one and a half point underdog. With Queens NC, I'm not willing to lay anything more than the one that I'm seeing, but I'm going to be willing to lay the one with them. With Queens NC, they're one of the more frenetic teams in all of college basketball. Going up against the Florida Gulf Coast team that they rank outside of the top 250 in terms of total possessions per game. But both of these teams have been able to click in all cylinders on offense. What I think is going to be the difference here for Queens NC, Gavin Reigns and his rebounding. A little bit over 10 boards per contest. Only gives you 6 points per game, but you've got plenty of guys for Queens. They're able to shoot it from 3-point range. As you've got Kenny Dye along with A.J. McKee. They've been able to combine for 32.5 points. Both shoot above 36.5% from 3 Queens. They shoot 36.5% from the outside. And in conference play, Queens has turned the ball over barely over 10 times per game. 
Prior to that, they were turning the ball over 14 times for contest. Meanwhile, you've got on the flip side for Dunk City, Chase Johnson along with Isaiah Thompson. They are able to combine for about 24 and a half points per game with Thompson. She's 36 half percent for three. Zach Anderson, good guy with some versatility. She's 39 percent for the outside, 12 and a half points, seven and a half boards. Says the six foot seven, a little bit of a combo player. Was dealing with a bit of an injury. Has come back. He has looked very solid for the Stunk City team. And you do have some nice depth with the team. Caleb Cato, Demir Bishop, both of these guys give you right around seven points per contest. But with Queen, you've been able to get someone like a Jaden Turner going with eight points. He doesn't necessarily shoot it well from three-point range, but he's able to help out down low. It is a Queen's team that they give up their fair share of points, but they're able to put them up as well. Queens has been able to give you at least 70 points in each of their last four games. Meanwhile, they've given up at least 76 points in each of their last five. And for Dunk City, it's been a little bit of a slog for them on offense as they have failed to get past 65 points in each of their previous three games. So it's a situation of something's got to give. I do think that Dunk City going to be able to get some offense flowing, but I think that this total's a little bit too high. Set mine at a 149.5 Queens NC. Also a team that's not playing super duper fanatically. It's not like they're a top 50 team in terms of tempo. So looking at the under... I want to lay up to one with Queens, 306-549, 306-550, Kennesaw State, give our own to Lane Kiffin, go Owls, they're going to be playing us Alice B. Alice B is at 11 to an 11 half point underdog with your total between 136 and 137, and with Alice B, I did set them as a underdog in this circumstance of seven points, so I'm going to be willing to take the points. Because even though LCP has seen things go downhill a little bit more for them recently, the four straight losses have been less than terrific as they've lost all those games by double figures. But you still have Sean Duder Gordon, who does a solid job of being able to connect with also Sean Robinson. They've been able to combine four in that neighborhood about 23 points. 10 rebounds per game, a bull shoot in the mid-30s from three-point range. Elijah Hutchins Everett, six boards, 12 points per game. He's a good cog down low, and you've had Carlos Paez give out three points, six assists to 1.6 turnovers per game. It's a P team that they're only giving up right around 12 turnovers per game, and Kennesaw State, a team that does a relatively solid job with their offensive efficiency, but they're leaving a little bit of something to be desired on the defensive side of things for Kennesaw State. Give our own to Lane Kiffin. Go Owls, by the way. In terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, this is a squad that they rank right around 200th in the country with this regard. Awesome, Pete. Under the radar, they've actually been a good under team, but they rank only right around 300th in the country with this regard. They do give up quite a few open threes as Chris Youngblood, Tyrell Burton, they combine for 26 points per contest. They're both shooting north of 42.5% from three. Kennesaw State as a whole, they do shoot 38% from three, but they also do shoot 64.5% from the free throw line. They turn the ball for 13 times per game as a mid-tempo team. Austin P, one of your lesser teams in terms of tempo in all of college basketball among the 363 D1 teams. Austin P, they're currently ranked right around 295th in terms of total possessions per game. Kennesaw State more around 140th, and I do think that for Kennesaw State, they're starting to come into their own a little bit more with their defense, giving up 72 points or fewer in far of their last five games. Lone exception was the overtime game that they played against Setson, where they gave up 72 points in regulation. I do think that for Austin P, team that has had tough time really being able to get points up on the board, 65 or fewer in three other four games in this losing streak. I do think that they are going to be looking to get back to their defensive roots a little bit more in this spot. As a result, set by total 135, diving under and with Austin P. Can only make them at some point an underdog, so going to be taking a look at the points. 306-551-306-552. Central Arkansas is going to be playing us in North Florida. North Florida, and between a two-point favor to a pick and your total is between 157.5 and 158.5, and with North Florida, set them as a three-and-a-half-point favor. 
Herbert. I'm going to be willing to lay it with North Florida. This team is in the top 40 in terms of total possessions per game and got a pair of teams outside the top 250 in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. But with North Florida, you've got Jose Plays here along Jay Lenniklin in the backcourt combining for 25.5 points per contest and combining shoot 35% per three. North Florida only 12 and after turnovers per game. Central Arkansas much less efficient with the ball with 14.2 turnovers per game. You've got a Central Arkansas team that has Eddie Kuyu a lot, shooting 38.5% from the outside, 13 points, 5.5 rebounds per game. Masai Alawurke, so we'll give you five boards. And you've got Cam Hunter, who's been able to do a good job, 17 points, five boards, four assists, 1.5 steals per game. But Central Arkansas certainly just leaving way too much to be desired on the defensive side of things. 332nd in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. Certainly significantly better at home than on the road in North Florida. They themselves right around 354th with this regard as well. I do think that as a result, you're going to be getting plenty of points in this spot. I did set the total at a 161.5, so I'm going to be looking over, but with North Florida, I do think that they do have one of the more versatile players out there at the mid-major level, and Carter Hendrickson, 6'7", Cabo player, shooting 37% from 30, 15 half points, six boards. I think he'll be the best player in this game, and I think that he'll lead North Florida to a victory. So, looking at North Florida as a slight favorite slash pick him, and this total over 306, 553, 306, 554. Lamar is going to be playing us at Texas A&M Commerce. Commerce is a five and a half point favorite with your total between 137 half and 138, and with Texas A&M Commerce, set them as a five point favorite. Five and a half is going to be my buy point on Lamar. It is a Lamar team that has been rather sad and pathetic all season long in terms of points a lot on a per possession basis. They rank in the bottom 40 in the country, but this is a Texas A&M Commerce team that they're really looking to their defense to be able to win games, and has not been happening for them. Texas A&M Commerce, 279th of the country in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis, and Nate Calamensi has been able to do a good job with this Lamar team with 16.5 points per game, shooting 35% from 30, 15-plus points in each of the last five games. Certainly, turnover woes are there for Lamar, but it's a Commerce team that they themselves turn the ball over 13 times per game. They're outside the top 200 in terms of possessions per game. C.J. Roberts has been able to give you 10 points, 2.5 assists per game. And DeMarcus Demonia, he chips in their 16 points, 5 rebounds per game. Demonia, only guy that gives you north of 4.5 rebounds per game. Meanwhile, Yutu Yamanachi Williams has been able to come in from Japan, 7.5 rebounds per game. I like the way that he's been able to operate in. For Lamar, they've actually been able to lend you a little bit of value recently. 8-9 against the spread overall, but they get that win against Nichols along Texas A&M, Corpus Christi. They've honestly been a relatively solid team on their own floor, and it's a Lamar team that they've now given up fewer than 70 points in three of their last four games. It's a Texas A&M Commerce team that they've been having a little bit of a rough go of it with their offense, 73 points or fewer in regulation in four of their last five games, so... It is a total that I did set at a 137, a situation which I'm going to be willing to take the under and with Lamar Bull and take five and a half or more with them. 306, 555, 306, 556. You've got Southeast Louisiana. They're playing us in New Orleans. New Orleans is a 8 to 8.5 point underdog. Totals between 152 and 154. And with New Orleans, this has been the top over team in all of college basketball over the last four years if you combine all the seasons. And I do think that you're going to get another nice high-scoring game. Semi-total at 153.5. So between 152 and 153, I'm going to be taking a look at the over in this spot. We've got a New Orleans team that brings in Jordan Johnson from Denver. He's done a solid job with 16 points, 4.4 assists, shooting 46.5% from three-point range with 15-plus points in now three of the team's last five games. But it's also a New Orleans team that they turned the ball over nearly 17.5 times per game going up against the Southeast Louisiana team that generates 7.5 sales per game. Roger McFarland 
Boogie Anderson have been able to combine for 22.5 points per game. It's a Southeast Louisiana team that they shoot about 36% from three-point. Southeast Louisiana is not the most up-tempo team in the conference in terms of total possessions per game, right around 55th and New Orleans, relatively similar team, but with New Orleans, they should be able to allow for a lot of forgiveness for this total because in terms of points a lot on a per possession basis, 335th. They have been pretty unsightly bad, Southeast Louisiana. Honestly, for this conference, 310th with this regard is not too bad, but that said, you've got McFarland who's able to give you eight rebounds per game. He's going to be by far the best rebounder in this game, which is a big reason why I did set Southeast Louisiana as a nine and a half point favorite, willing to lay it with New Orleans. Don't have a single guy that gives you north of five rebounds per game, despite all the possessions that they play in their games. Kamar Doty has been able to shoot about 36% from three. He's able to give you seven points per game. And for New Orleans, they do shoot 37.5% from the outside. They really don't generate any turnovers. Tyson Jackson, 11 points. Four and a half rebounds per game. That's relatively rough, and it is a New Orleans team that they've given up at least 79 points in three other last four games. It is a Southeast Louisiana team that has been able to get to at least 75 points in each other last five games, and they have surrendered at least 71 points in each other last five. Southeast Louisiana playing high-scoring games, going up against a New Orleans team that can't guard their own shadow. Looking at the over semi total 153 and a half, and with Southeast Louisiana willing to lay up to nine with them, three of six, 557, three of six, 558. Incarnate word play, Sosa McNeese, eight. McNeese is a pick em a one-point favorite and your total between 141.5 and 142. I think the did set them as a four-point favorite. Just hard to be able to trust in this Incarnate Word team. An Incarnate Word team that is a relatively mid-tempo team. And McNeese State has been slowing down a little bit as well. But both of these teams leaving so much to be desired. On the defensive side of things, Incarnate Word, 281st. In terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, McNeese, 353rd. But with McNeese, State, they're going to be able to control things. down low. Christian Chulmate, 12 points, 9.5 boards. Shooting 39% from three. He's been able to give the team 12 plus rebounds in two out of the last three games. For Incarnate Word, you don't have a single guy that registers north of five rebounds per game. Brandon Swaby, Nikki Krause, maybe they will both give you eight points between four and four and a half rebounds per game apiece. And for Incarnate Word, they've got Krause shooting about 39% for three all in all. They do shoot 33% from three-point range with Jordan Cisse being perhaps the best scorer in this game. Shooting 42% from three, he's been able to put in there 15 points per game. And then Trey English on the flip side for McNeese State. Like his game, 12 points, shoots 37% from three-point range. McNeese, they only shoot about 63% of the free line, but with Incarnate Word, they have a tough time holding on to the ball. You got a McNeese State team that they do generate about nine steals per game, and take a look at McNeese State. It's been a little bit strange with their offense in their last five games. They have scored 80, 75, 81, 64, and 68 points. Meanwhile, you got an Incarnate Word team that has not been able to get to at least 70 in each other last five games. They've also given up at least 75 points in far of their last five as well, so I do think that you're going to see things cranked up a little bit more with these offenses. I did set my total at a 140 here at 141 and a half slash 142. I think you might just get too many turnovers for this total to be able to go over and with Incarnate Word. Part of the reason why they've been scoring a little bit more is that they did have an overtime or two thrown in there, so looking at the under end with McNeese State, going to be one to take them as a very slight favorite. Set them as a four-point favorite. There is 6559, there is 6560. Texas A&M Corpus Christi plays those two nickels. Nickels is anywhere between a three and a half to a four-point underdog with your total between 145 and a half and 146 and a half with nickels. I did set them as a three and a half point underdog, so this is a spot where at four or more, I'm going to be one to take the points with nickels. They play at a top 40 pace in terms of total possessions per game. Texas A&M Corpus Christi, they play at a rather breakneck pace as well, and these are your top two teams in the conference. A conference full of teams that generate turnovers in terms of being able to get steals as 
You've got Texas A&M Corpus Christi. Is able to give you right around 9.5 per contest. And with Nichols, maybe they able to get 9.2 per contest with Caleb Huffman. Latrell Jones being able to combine for about 31 points per game. And Huffman shoots 45% per three. Nichols as a whole, they do shoot just 62% at the free throw line. And then you've got Isaac Bouchala. It's going to be the best rebounder in this game. 14.1 points, 9.8 rebounds per game. Andy Littles on the flip side for Nichols. is able to give you 8 rebounds per game. And then you do have Ross Williams shooting 43% per three, 10.5 points per game for a Corpus Christi team that shoots 76% of their charity strength. 35.5% from three-point range, but Nichols, a little bit of a better on-ball defending team. Texas A&M Corpus Christi has done a very good job of being able to generate their seals, but they live and die by them as it's a Corpus Christi team that has been able to get past 75 points in four of their last five games, but they've lost three of their last four games due to bad defense. Meanwhile, you've got a Nichols team that has a lot fewer than 70 points in each of their last five games, so they've been able to excel on that side of things. This is a total that I did set out a 147 half. I do think that you're going to see an up-tempo game that involves some late-game Felling in with Nichols set them as an underdog of three and a half points. So four more gonna be willing to take the points with Nichols and looking at the over three of six five sixty one, three of six five sixty two. Jacksonville State plays also Lipscomb. Lipscomb is a two and a half point favorite, and your total is between one thirty seven half and one thirty eight and a half with Jacksonville State. Set them as a three point underdog. I'm gonna be willing to lay the number of Lipscomb. You got Jacob Onyesovich who's been able to do a rock solid job being able to give this Lipscomb team right in the neighborhood of about 15 and a half to 16 points per contest. And then you've got Asana Sadula at 6 for 10. Nice point forward. Way down with the scoring this year. 7.7 points per contest after 14 plus points each of the previous three seasons. But still gives you 3.3 assists, 6 half rebounds per game. And Lipscomb has been able to help them out with a little bit of a better backcourt this season as you've got Will Pruitt coupled with Darren Boyd who combined for 19.5 points per game with Pruitt shooting 43.5% from three-point range. Lipscomb has always left a little bit of something to be desired under Lenny Acuff in terms of their defense, but in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis, it's been looking a little bit better this year as currently they're clocking in right around 153rd with this regard and they're playing against the Jacksonville State team has been pretty dreadful in terms of their defense. They do shoot as a collective north of 38% for three-point range, but 319th in the country in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis. You've got Skyler Potter teaming up with also DeMarcus King, who have been able to combine for about 27.5 points per contest. They combined to shoot 39% from three. You've got Juwan Purdue, who's able to give you seven rebounds per game. He's the only guy, though, that gives you north of four and a half rebounds per game, and haven't been able to get a lot this season out of Amenzi. Gamezi, who has banged up for much of the campaign. He's been able to come back, coming off of a 15-point performance that's odd for this Jacksonville State offense, but for Jacksonville State, we have seen their offense really start to fail. Them recently as well, 62 points or fewer in three of their last five games, and for Lipscomb, they have given up 65 or fewer in four of their last five games. Lipscomb really starting to crank things up with their defense, so I did set my total at 135. You got a Jacksonville State team that ranks in the bottom one in terms of possessions per game, so looking at the under with Lipscomb, one to lay up to two and a half with them, and we wrap things up with three of 563, 3564, Northwestern State, plays us to Eastern Christian. Eastern Christian is between an 11 and a 12 point underdog, and your total is between 151 and 152. And with Eastern Christian, set them as a 15 point underdog. With Northwestern State, you've got to love what this team has been able to do, as I think that they're the team to beat out in the Southland because you have the Missouri State coaching staff from last season, and they bring with them Isaac Haney, Demarcus Sharp, along Jamonta Black. Black and Sharp both give you 16 and a half points per game. Sharp chips in there. Four and a half assists, 1.8 seals per game on 48.5% three-point shooting. Black, 1.3 seals per game. Haney gives you two and a half assists, four and a half boards. And then down low, you've been able to get right around seven rebounds, nine and a half points per game out of Jalen Hampton and Houston Christian. 
363 D1 teams are in the bottom five in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. Bonnick Marang has been able to give you six rebounds, 14 and a half points per game. Bryson Long shoots 41% from three, 15 and a half points per game. And Houston Christian as a whole, they do shoot 37% from three, but they turn the ball over 16 and a half times per game. They go up against a Northwestern State team that is generating eight and a half steals per game. It's a Houston Christian team that they've been able to get to at least 78 points each of their previous three games. They've also given up at least 78 points in four out of their last five. Meanwhile, for Northwestern State, they've been able to get past the 88-point plateau in three of their last four games. I do think that you're going to see things be up-tempo, and I think that Northwestern State turns defensive steals into offensive points. So my total 153, looking at the over, and willing to lay up to 14.5 with Northwestern State, and that will wrap things up for the Thursday edition of Coast to Coast Soups, now part of the Visa Family Podcast. If you do like hearing from this fine podcast, Coast to Coast Soups, you're able to subscribe wherever your podcast. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Citra, and TuneIn. If you've got a question, comment, segment idea, what have you for this podcast, you have one of two ways we offer those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at Janet underscore D1. Keep in mind, there's him. Maybe it does not matter as per usual. Please just send these into the timeline. Other ways, find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you're able to fire whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast. Five that five star review coming at you guys every single day throughout the college basketball season, which means I'm coming at you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth that no matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you and how you manage them can be all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you and you're able to learn more over at BetterHelp.com. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com.